Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Da, 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 da. I'm back from Italy, baby. Oh, okay. I was like, what is happening? Why are you doing that? The Toriador song. <laughs> I, why that? Why didn't you do the... Oh, maybe that's what I meant to do. Whatever. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, buongiorno. Wow, that's your best Italian. That's yeah. No, I'm I'm New York Italian. You know, I don't actually know any Italian. Yeah, you're manja. all about your chicken parmesan. Hey, you All right, that's just offensive. <laughs> I know it's really offensive. <laughs> it's bad. All right. Um. Anyway. Uh. Well, yeah. So that's where I'm bar. Bill Graham, not here. Uh, the summer, <laughs> the summer of just not having everyone on the podcast continues, and um, with us today to talk about the newest film from Baz Luhrmann, uh, Elvis. It's oh no, Rico Galliano. Why'd you say oh no? I I because I almost said Gagliano, and I was Ugh. like ah reset reset. You're not a New York Italian if you pronounce the yeah, G. Seriously, speaking Galliano. of Italian. You're going to start off by, you know, imitating an Italian and then mispronouncing his name. Thanks, First of dude. all, did not start off imitating Italian. I just said <laughs> buongiorno in the way of an American. <laughs> I guess that's buongiorno. <laughs> yeah, also like yeah, yeah. Welcome to Howard Beach, Queens. I'm Brian <laughs> Rowan. And with me today, we got Rico Galliano. Hey, hey, hey it's nice to see you over there. My paisan. <laughs> hey, I do what I can. Yeah. How's your mother? Uh, she's are you saying that nice or are you saying that like asking, i gotta punch you, you out i was saying it nice i'm just asking hey, how how's your mother, mother? i'm just how's asking your mother, after jerk your mother weed? that's how it sounded to me sure, to my yeah. italian ears oh my god is, is your mother all right i'm just asking after you i don't know why you gotta break my balls so much she's okay she ain't got the covid that's so that's good in this day oh, that's and age. good god bless all right i'll see you at church ciao anyway that's been <laughs> conversations with italians and queens <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Oh, man. For anyone who thinks that was a parody, uh, it's not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> that's how we talk to one another. And how we're going to pivot out of this into Elvis, I don't know. Um, notably not Italian, I think. Uh, Elvis Presley. Pretty sure. Um, anyway, uh, Rico, would you like to introduce yourself <laughs> in, in a more formal, professional way to the audience? Uh, yes, I'm Rico Galliano. And I have an incredible radio voice when I want to. Uh, and I uh, host NPR the NPR voice, not your stoop voice. <laughs> That's right. I got them. I got a whole bunch. Uh, and I hosted the Mubi podcast. Yeah. MUBI podcast, um, which I'm very proud of. And I'm very happy to be on the show to hype and to talk to you as much about as you want, because I'm, I really enjoy it. But you can't say about everything you do in this world. No, you 100% can't. 
It's a crew world. Um, Crazy world. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We got to fold Robin into all of this, uh, you know, northern screaming that we're doing. Oh, is that right? I can do plenty of northern screaming. I'm from Long Island. I know. That's what I'm saying. I wasn't saying you couldn't scream in the northern way. I was saying you should be screaming in the northern way. Come on. Come on. Come on. Northern screaming sounds like a Netflix show that we should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to last for four seasons and be like 106 episodes. It'll be a dark take on northern exposure. Oh, I was going to say it's four episodes a season. They get released two years apart and every episode costs $376 million. (laughs) Sounds good. If we can get a piece of that change, I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> this will be a very fruitful episode for me. Hex yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, we're uh, we're here to talk about Boz Lerman's Elvis, uh, which is out in theaters now. Uh, before we do that, all the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, and you can email us podcastfilmstage.com, and you can go on iTunes and give us a comment rating. It really helps people to find us. And you can patron by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as one dollar an episode you get access to our slack channel where you can see robin post all the food pictures that she takes uh or you could just follow her on instagram and look at her stories <laughs> it's all food baby <laughs> that's 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 good it's better than my friends who like will screen cap tweets they think are clever and then oh. just put those on there or they'll like have a two second long story that's three thousand words long anyway <laughs> Instagram's turning terrible. Not my style. I'm. I post my own content. Yeah, because you're a creator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Micro influencer. Yes, but what a micro you are influencing. Um, <laughs> what a micro brain you have, Robin. <laughs> anyway, um, we are also brought to you, as I said earlier, uh, by Movie, a streaming service that curates exceptional films from around the globe and brings them right to your television or streaming device. I should say that we did not pay you to have me on the show. (laughs) No, we are not getting any extra money for this. You did Um, this because you love me. Yeah, you specifically and personally. Yep. (laughs) It was nice to meet you 15 minutes ago, by the way. (laughs) But, you know, we we, we locked uh, voices across the wire and it was just all like, Oh, my love. (laughs) Pretty much. Oh, wow. My darling. I felt it. Yeah, that's what I felt. Robin, you didn't feel it? I felt it. I hung for. You, you, you felt that the was romance. in this movie, wasn't it? I just started singing Unchained Melody and I didn't even yeah. realize. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's the, is it the end? Is that the very last mo- moment in the movie? Is that Spoilers, like but yes, that's the last song we hear. <laughs> that's true. The name of the song is that, like you're going to hear that song in the movie. That's not a spoiler. You're going to hear every, guys, it's the you're going to hear every song. Oh, damn song. it. <laughs> You're going to hear every Elvis song in the movie. That's, that's at the least once, possibly twice, sung by multiple people, sometimes with a rap beat behind it. Um, yep. What's a rap beat? A, 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 <laughs> I'm not even going. A rapper's delight. Anyway, back to the movie plug. Movie plug. Uh, every day, movie premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival. It streams anytime, any place. And I'd also like to point out uh, that the movie podcast is back. Hold for applause. Yes. 
I can hear them. I can hear them all over America, wildly applauding. Um, yeah. Should I, uh, should I tell you about it? I was yeah. about to say, I've got talking points, but the man himself is here. So let's, let's. Like, no, uh, yeah. no, you give me, you give me your talking points. I'd be Movies curious to see how it's audio received. Audio documentary series, movie podcast returns this summer for its second season. This time the focus is on movie theaters because in a time when too many cinemas are shutting down, we think it's time to lift them up. Titled only in theaters, the new season will tell surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history, and in some cases, history in general. Mm-hmm. Listen to the latest season of the movie podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and it may be because I wrote that. I was about no, to say, I, did I you write that true. copy? I did not write that copy. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's accurate. It's 100% accurate. That I stand awesome. by it. <laughs> you're um, like the you're like what's his name george coming on at the end of the Mer- men's warehouse commercials just being like you're gonna like the way you look i guarantee it <laughs> wow i haven't thought of that guy in a long time <laughs> I, I haven't i can picture him vividly uh yeah that is the that is indeed the show uh and it's you know i what i would like to stress is that it is uh not dry I would say it is a, this is like a documentary style show and the idea is to tell a good yarn about these theaters. It's not like a PBS uh, documentary, like America's great movie palaces. It's we pick these theaters because there's something kind of spectacularly interesting about them, or they did something that's rad in some lasting way. And yeah, in some cases, uh, I'm thinking mainly of the first episode, which is about the uh, Cinémathèque Française in Paris, France. Yeah, I mean, like some of the stuff that that theater did influenced, arguably influenced the history of France. Oh, that's really cool. Yes. I, um, yeah, I do. I have a list of, of all the episodes. I'm not going to say them all, but I do want to know, uh, how come you didn't have a whole thing about the theater that Dillinger was shot in front of? Oh man, what the theater was that? I don't even know. That if only there were an audio documentary that would tell me. It was. <laughs> I mean, it was some theater it, in Chicago. Is I'm it? Is sure. it? Is it a contribution to to history that something happened in front of you? Is there? Are you, can you be like if? Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess if Hitler got shot in front of you, then you could be considered kind of a historic figure. So it, but, was, uh, the, it was the Biograph Theater in uh, Chicago, Illinois. All right. Well, that would figure Chicago gangland. Yeah. Um, uh, did it, am I remembering right? Did he actually, he was in the theater, right? Yeah, like he, he came they'd out gone of the theater and, and, they seen, and seen a movie and then they were walking out and he got judas by someone. And then I think Melvin Purvis <laughs> gunned him down and then later feel, killed himself. I feel like it would be a story if like the movie theater had been a theater that only showed gangster movies and only gangsters went to the gangster movies. So then, then you could tell the whole story about the gangster movie theater that, by the way, a gangster got shot in front of. And then they made movies about the gangster movie theater <laughs> that the gangster got shot in front of. That's fair. That might, All right. that might make it. That would be spectacular. But uh, no, I did not do that one. Sorry. And, and you and also, way, I, uh, when we were talking to Bill, who lives in Dallas, uh, who's not on this week, but he said he was curious if you all are going to talk about the theater in Dallas where Lee Harvey Oswald hid out. I don't, you know, uh, <laughs> but actually, these just seem like historically adjacent things that happened to happen in a movie theater or near a movie theater. But I do have a glimmer in the back of my mind and listeners who are more astute than I are going to know the connection here. But I do feel like we talked about that in early conversations about this uh, season that we like maybe we could do that theater because something else interesting happened there. Or maybe that theater 
is now is still a theater maybe and does amazing things. I'm not so entirely. Do you I know? think that Bill said that the theater still exists and that there is a, a plaque, I think, on one of the seats that's just like, yep, this is the one. This is wow. where he sat. Wow. I want anybody who like chooses that seat in an otherwise empty theater. You keep an eye on that guy. How do they know it was that seat? Uh, Because oh, I, I think like people came in and like that's where they caught him, isn't it? No, they caught him on the street somewhere else. I don't know. I got to watch JFK by Oliver Stone again. No, you don't. <laughs> I got to sit through that whole movie. It's an incredible no. documentary. Back into the left. <laughs> Back into the left. Uh, do you cover the Rattle Theater by any chance? That's my local one, but it has like a strong... Um, association with david lynch i think he's on the board oh really no i have not and and i'm sad to say i haven't i mean this is the thing about this topic right is that you could go on and on forever i was on a a, a local talk radio program here in la and people just like called in one hour it was like dozens and dozens of people everybody has their favorite theater and actually what's interesting is that a lot of the theaters that people really have that turn out to be interesting aren't necessarily like we were originally going to do an episode about movie palaces Mm -hmm. which seems obvious but a lot of movie palaces are awesome because they were awesome looking and you know maybe they had a premiere or two that was like you know historically significant or something and some of them have like pretty interesting stories pretty interesting stories but a lot of times i found the the most interesting stories happen in theaters that you might not expect like the this week's episode is about a suburban just a neighborhood second run theater in suburban uh, minneapolis which is where after harold and maude bombed in its initial release they actually brought it in to that theater and it played for like two and a half years and uh, and arguably set the stage for it getting re-released and becoming this huge cult phenomenon now that theater has nothing else kind of like that historically significant about it but it's like right but that's still huge like if only for the fact that it was two and a half years like you could tell the story of those two and a half years yeah exactly and And you could could tell the story of the uh the like multiplex at marley station mall where brian j rowan once held a girl's hand for the first time <laughs> oh man, I would love to do one about my uh, uh, childhood theater where I saw ET eight times and then once got really sick the eighth time because I got a gigantic bag. Remember they used to sell those gigantic bags of Reese's pieces? Oh yeah, they were so big for for such <laughs> little children, and I just like pounded it down. They're so delicious. And the, it's wait, the how old are you? I'm like old enough. Uh, and well, I'm doing like math in my head, like 1982. Yes, I was pretty little. I was very yeah. little. He, he was um, a brand newborn. <laughs> I was, I was have been left alone in a theater old. for on his own. It was my first solid food. Um, yeah, but uh, everybody's theater, I guess to everyone, their local movie theater is kind of historic in some way. I feel like that's actually, yeah. Right. Which is actually why I wanted to do that. The thing that I especially love about that theater is that it was just a neighborhood theater, but to the locals, I mean, like there's one woman that we spoke to who pretty much only saw Harold and Maude there. She never went to that theater (laughs) to see any other movie. But when they turned it into a dry cleaning place, she was like, she, uh, she said, yeah, I, I didn't go into that dry cleaning place for years. And I said, because you're sad. And she's like, or mad. Like, how dare they take that yeah. theater away from us? And I'm like, but you didn't even go to it. And she's like, yeah, but it belonged. And it there turned out a, I did a little research. Those, there was like a, there was a library in that theater, you know, like a public oh, wow. library. Theaters are like centers of the community. Those second run theaters, like I had one uh, that was near the Marley Station Mall. 
and yeah, you you'd you'd like go there and be like, yeah, you just come and see this random ass movie for two dollars, and like that's where I was able to see like Jurassic Park for like the seven hundredth time. Yeah, way out. It was probably already on VHS at that point. If I'm being yeah, completely sure. honest, did you do you have any favorite like? I can. Uh, I'm asking you this so that I can tell my story. Should I just tell my story about my neighborhood theater that I want to talk about? Yeah, I don't. I don't care. Just do let it. me. Okay. <laughs> I Maybe got nowhere to be. Up. My kids are asleep. I'm not leaving the house. The second this my... podcast is over, I will be alone. Let's talk as long as we want. <laughs> nice. Pour yourself a drink because here we go. Um, and no, it's not that big a deal. But it's like I remember going to my local theater, which was called the Dennis in Pittsburgh, PA. It's no longer there. And uh, it was, I was, again, a very young man. And it was to see, I think it was a re-release, actually, of Prince's Purple Rain. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Purple Rain. And my friend and I went to it. And we were definitely not old. It's an R-rated movie. We were definitely not old enough to see this movie. And we kind of went up, gave our money. And this woman was like, you're not, what is it, 17, 13? I can't remember. For an R-rated and movie, it's 17. It's 17. She's like, you guys aren't anywhere near 17. And we're like, yeah. And she's like, can, uh, she takes a look at us and she's like, give me your phone numbers. And she called my parents and was like, hey, you got a kid here. He says he's your kid. Okay. He wants to see this movie, Purple Rain. And I can hear my dad over the phone go like, yeah, what's it about? And she's like, oh, you know, it's a rock movie. You know, the kids, you know, we're playing the rock music and uh, there's some kissing and maybe a little necking, something like that. My dad's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And she's like, okay, go in. Like, they're not going to do that for you at the local <laughs> Pacific theater. You know, that's like yeah. your neighborhood theater is like, I can tell you good kids. You're not going to be too demented after you see <laughs> out with Apollonia Cotero. That's awesome. For some reason, that reminds me of a story that my mother once told me about the priest at her church growing up who, um, if like a family was having trouble with money, like they knew the family well enough that they would say like, okay, go to the supermarket, get all the groceries you want, tell them to send the bill here, like to wow. the church because we'll pay. Because they wouldn't give them money because they know that the dad or the mom or whoever was going to drink away all the money, but they oh, knew they man. would cover a tab at a grocery store and then the kids would actually get like milk and bread and shit yeah I'm, I'm not sure the dentist would have bought groceries for the alcoholic family but, <laughs> <laughs> but you never know because you never asked no that's, that's i don't know my neighbors like i hear people i will i will seriously if i hear somebody like leaving at the same time as me i'll hide in my house <laughs> until they leave <laughs> until I, uh, they're out it, the door that's incredible that is the most that's the most big city <laughs> Lives in an apartment <laughs> building kind of thing yeah. I think I've ever heard. Um, yes. I know every like I've become a pillar of my community. I'm at the farmer's <laughs> market selling booze every week. I've been asked to be like the recording secretary of like a local civic association. Wow. Like I at this farmer's market, like I it literally is like the hey, how's your wife? Like, oh, where's the kids? Like, yeah, I know everybody. Do you do you do anything to deserve this, or do you just look like I that just guy? Like, go, I I feel like I just have that face and like that personality that people feel like they can talk to me. But like you know, I oh. know people at the dog park, and I'm the guy with the distillery, and I sell the booze, and my daughter's in school, and I'm you know active in the church, and it's like I've got like a real 1950s era like you know suburban dad thing going on. It kind of rules. Oh man, I'm like yeah, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> I'm a little jealous. I do think that it might be that people are in it for the free booze, though. Oh, it's not free. <laughs> oh, okay. They don't, they don't get nothing case, for free from me, no. In that case, it must be your personality. You're still paying Congrats. full price, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
What's the name of your booze? Uh, Schmidt Spirits. I love it. Are you going to send me some? Uh, that's a that's a loaded question. So like, we tried. If you don't, to send I'm going to someone... target your political campaign for whatever. <laughs> so thing. we, I, I have a smaller boutique brand within the larger brand, and it's called Inkwell, right? And it's like you know my mm. personal whatever. And um, I got an email from a guy who makes uh bags and stuff, and like a lot of his his things are specifically for fountain pens. Because there's like a whole fountain pen community of like, you know, here's a little like uh, your roll up for all your pens. And here's like a small little individual caddy for your pen. And so he was wow. like, hey, I'd love to try your thing. And maybe I could like shout it out. And I was like, totally, absolutely. And we tried to mail him some uh, through like not the U.S. mail, but like we are able to ship alcohol to people for for specific reasons. And we, you know, it got turned around on us and came back. And so now we're having to fight with UPS because they don't even know why it happened. So, like, I'd love to send you some. Okay. I don't think I can right now. But if I ever it's figure really, out the shipping thing, I will. It's fine. I'm still stuck on ink pen community. Yeah, there's <laughs> like fountain pens are apparently like there's an online community. And it seems very non-toxic, which is nice. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would there's imagine. a community for everything i guess it's true and i I mean now that i think about it it would be wonderful to be part of that community i just imagine lots of like feather quill pens there is um the dc fountain pen expo is happening in like two weeks and i like can't allow myself to go to it because i will spend (laughs) too much money Mm -hmm. there's a fountain pen expo yeah do they have like performing bands and things like that and like (laughs) breakout sessions none of this surprises me at all like, i am curious the, i i i would not be at all surprised i just would like to go and look at all the vendors and like the craftsmen um mm. dude you should go at the same time i'm sure they have like seminars that are like you know the best way to clean your nibs without you know causing unnecessary <laughs> wear calligraphy oh yeah probably can I tell you my favorite kind of expo type story? Yes. It was I, I went to LOSCON, the Los Angeles Science Fiction Convention, which has a lot of adorable people. They're very geeky. It's like, but here's the thing: like, I definitely consider myself a geek and a sci-fi geek, but in the kind of film realm and have been mm-hmm. most of my life. These are literary geeks, so it's like a whole different level of geek. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and my book but, friends are way weirder than my movie and even my comic friends. Yes, I would say that's right. And I went, there was a thing, I, uh, I went to a session that was called Lightsaber 101. Um, <laughs> this, was, this actually isn't literary based, but it's still pretty geeky. Uh, and I thought what it was going to be was kind of like maybe talking about, you know, the science behind lightsabers, like could one exist? I don't know what I thought that it was going to be. What it turned out to be was a little class that would teach you how to make a hilt that looked like a lightsaber from the movie using like parts that you could find from a hardware store, which is kind of neat. But I remember this guy saying like, now here's my tip for you. You, uh, you know, those uh, things that you can carry your cell phone uh, that clips to your belt. And it's like a little thing with a hinge on it. So when you sit down, it hinges out. I find that it's really nice to make it so that your lightsaber hilt can attach to one of those things, which makes it really easy when you're like, like, let's say you're driving or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) Under what <laughs> circumstance are you driving <laughs> with a lightsaber? Well, obviously, Rico, a Jedi belt. never leaves its weapon behind. I think that's I think that's the case. I think these are people that are really living the life. And it was kind of adorable, but I liked it. That's cute. Yeah. I don't even know well, if we're done with we the movie sh- plug anymore. I feel like... <laughs> I oh, my feel like God. 
Um, but anyway, yeah. So find that movie podcast on all the podcatchers of your choice. And uh, don't forget to go to MUBI.com slash film stage for a whole month of great cinema for free. Yes. And may yeah. I say, by the way, there are stars on our podcast. There are stars on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. We have big time filmmakers on the podcast. We have uh, There's actually an episode that is an embarrassment of riches about the Scala Cinema in London. Nice. If you've not heard of it, it's amazing. Uh, and we got Mary Heron, um, what do you, uh, 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 American uh, Psycho. Psycho, of yep. course. And uh, uh, I shot Andy Warhol, uh, Peter Strickland, Berberian Sound System uh, Studio, nice. uh, um, Prano Bailey Bond. Have you seen that movie, Censor? movie from last year oh my god this is an amazing horror movie called censor uh and it's about the video nasties phenomenon that happened in 80s uk oh okay so it's like censoring i for some reason thought it was censor like the thing you burn incense in no (laughs) what i could see okay i could 100 percent see a horror movie possibly uh distributed by a24 called censor <laughs> and it had something to do with like the catholic church or yeah. some shit and a ghost that comes out of incense don't fucking a- say what to me robin <laughs> it could be gothy mm. i just i just pitched you a movie that half of our slack channel would love and the other half would never stop talking shit about <laughs> perfect it's a, in a yeah, it would be world. me and boris <laughs> <laughs> Sucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I but I highly recommend censor C E N S O R because uh, it's like it's it's interesting because it's it's about a moment where they're censoring horror movies and it is itself a horror movie. So it's a little bit navel gazy, but in an extremely cool way. Anyway, the director of that is in it. Plus Stephen Woolley, who like produced like Mona Lisa, some of the great kind of indie movie, the crying game and things like that was one of the first guys to distribute uh, diva on video and movies like that. Betty blue stuff like that. Um, So yeah, it's cool. It's not just me talking is what I'm trying to get across. here. And you can look for my movie censor C-E-N-S-E-R in all movie theaters in 2026. Yay. I'm going to give myself four years to make this happen. Who's going to star in Censor? Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Well, what else is new? Quavenzene Wallace. Wow. Quavenzene. I'm sorry. Uh, And uh, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> what a great cast. None of them will be playing who you think they are playing. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's for sure. Um Quavange, what's Quavanjane Wallace been up to? I I feel like there was something she was in recently. Am I crazy? Or was I just looking her up to see whether she'd done anything recently? I can't remember. I have I have no no knowledge of what her career has been like. I feel like she definitely did something after the Oscar nomination, but I can't remember what it was. Wasn't it yeah. Annie? Oh, that's right. Don't, was don't, it? don't sound so upset. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, you're right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> too bad. All right. I'm going to um, look up what Convenzene Wallace has done recently. And then we are, I swear to God, going to try to talk about Elvis. Yay. Um, she was in something called, she was in, she was in American Horror Stories, Swagger, uh, Blackish. Uh-huh. Mm. She's going to be in something called Breathe. There you go. Fathers okay. and daughters. Right. So she's she's doing stuff. Yeah, that makes me feel better. Is, but air supply is scarce in the near future, forcing a mother and daughter to fight to survive when two strangers arrive desperate for an oxygenated haven. Oh, interesting. Yes. It also stars Mila Jovovich. Oh wow. Yeah. 
I was just watching, uh, what do you call it, Dazed and Confused the other day and going like, oh, yeah, her. <laughs> all right. Well, yes. So once again, MUBI.com slash film stage for free. There is all movie. And don't forget to check out the movie podcast wherever fine podcasts are found. Um, any, uh, we've already talked about so much. We are. It is such a good. I, this, <laughs> is it? Is it that Bill's not here? That we are now a half hour? Probably. He's not like we really got to move passive along, aggressively though. into the thing and screaming <laughs> that we need to talk about the movie. Um, you know, you could edit this down. I'm just saying there's I, software available to you. There, yeah, I don't like to do that, but maybe we will. I don't know. Maybe I'll put some right. stuff at the end. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the movie that we're here to talk about, and that is Elvis. This is a movie by Baz Luhrmann, who's previously done The Great Gatsby, Romeo Plus Juliet, Moulin Rouge, Australia, and uh, The Get Down. And I'm sure there's something else that I've missed. But it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, uh, go. This movie Australia. stars. I said Australia. He said Australia. Australia. Did you say The Great Gatsby? Yes. Strictly Ballroom. What else? I think I think I've said them all. I don't know if okay. anything else. Let's see. That's weird, right? Uh, probably. It was the Netflix yeah. series. The Netflix series. The Get Down. I said the Get Down. Oh, the Get Down. Yeah. You, you can tell how much we're paying attention to. Well, this is going to be a terrible episode. You guys have clearly already hit your bottom. You're like, we're not talking about movie theaters anymore. We're not talking about expos. I'm out. Anyway, uh, the movie Elvis out in theaters now stars Tom Hanks and Austin Butler, and um. Yeah, here is the trailer. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Let's don't let a good thing die. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come? knocking at your door. He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a All right. So this movie is pretty much a full-life biography of Elvis. Um shown to you in the style that only Baz Luhrmann is capable of delivering. Um and that pretty much actually could be my full review of this movie. <laughs> Um, but let's talk about it. We will begin, of course, uh, with a high level kind of general thoughts and then move into more spoilery details. This is a movie based on the real life of a very famous human being, though. So I'm not going to suffer anyone screaming at us that we spoiled things before the time comes. So let's talk about Elvis, uh, the man and the movie. And let's begin with our guest, Rico. What are your general all around thoughts on Baz Luhrmann's Elvis? Now, to say that I actually saw it today, uh, about an hour ago. So that's how much so rumination I've done. I'm still, <laughs> my ears are still <laughs> ringing. Um, I will Butler's say that, eyes are still staring into your soul. Oh my God. I will say that that gentleman has a presence. Yep. Uh, he, I, what, what, what would I say? This is my top level reaction to it is it is exactly what I imagined it would be, but somehow. Baz Luhrmann, I always, I always think I kind of know exactly what I'm going into a Baz Luhrmann thing for, and I'm always reminded that that's not actually what I'm feeling when I come out of the theater. And here's what I mean by that: his movies, when I think of them, I think of them 
and I'm sure that he would describe them as kind of like circus acts, like, you know, like a big top acts. There's lights and like things coming at you and, you know, everything but the kitchen sink. And certainly that's definitely the case with all of his movies. Everybody knows that. But I also always seem to forget that almost all of his movies end with long periods of extreme melancholy where things like kind of slow down almost to a trickle sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you're left with this feeling of like real aching sadness. And it's weird. Like I, I always am like, yeah, hey, this is going to be a fun night at the movies, if, <laughs> you know, or at least a loud night at the movies. <laughs> I'm definitely going to b- get bombarded, but I forget that I always leave a Baz Luhrmann movie feeling kind of like, Oh man, like man, being a human is, can be tough. It's beautiful, but it can be tough. And this definitely gave me that. And I would say that it is quality. I will say that Baz Luhrmann to me is, it can be hit and miss. There are movies of his, like I was actually a big booster of Great Gatsby, surprisingly. I did not think that it was going to be what it was. And I really love that movie. Um, And I actually remember seeing Moulin Rouge on opening night and being just blown away because particularly at that moment, there was not very much not like it. And I had no idea what to expect. So it was quite an event for me. But then there are others, you know, Australia, obviously, that kind of left me cold. This, I would say, is kind of middle Baz Luhrmann, where it's like the beginning is what we expect. And the ending is, I think, incredibly effective. And in between there is there are long stretches where I feel like there is uh, the pacing is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's totally like, agreed. Why are we dwelling on this and not that thing over there? You know, mm-hmm. the stuff that there's stuff that he skips through. I mean, like the there are two obviously the main characters here are Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker, and like he Colonel Tom Parker kind of c- circles around Elvis as this figure that he's interested in pursuing for a long period of the movie. And then there is no scene where they have a conversation where he is brought into Colonel Tom Parker's fold. He's just suddenly in like, why is that scene not exist? They, they actually, in a weird way, they have that scene a little bit later on. So, and in a way I kind of was like, Oh, that's cool. They're just skipping over it. Cause why do we need that scene? We know that it happened. We're just going to get right into the action. Now they're on the road together, Colonel Tom and Elvis. But then there are other things where they like dwell, they put in a scene that you totally have heard of before, you know, some moment from history. And then they dwell on it for like literally a half an hour. <laughs> and it seems like, it seems strange. I also looked at the credits at the end and there are three sets of screenwriters, two of which are Baz Luhrmann. I, that was incredible. In all honesty, I was like, this right. guy is part of two. He, I don't even know. What did the union think when they saw that they were just saying, well, <laughs> they were a writing team and sure. Why not? Then Buzz kicked that guy to the curb, got another guy. It seems it's kind of crazy. So like six people worked on this, three teams worked on this and it kind of feels like it at some point, it just kind of, they in the their, middle, their kind pink of team, the their red team and their gold team. <laughs> that's what, that's what those are my first things. And I can give you some little detailed things, I guess, as we go. All right. Robin Barr, what did you think about Elvis? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I feel kind of similarly uh, as you do, Rico, but I think I really liked the movie maybe a lot more than you did. So I'm not the biggest Baz Luhrmann fan. I, I find his style a little too bedazzled for me. I, I'm what I've seen of Moulin Rouge, I, I just utterly hated. Uh, I thought Gatsby was terrible, but I love Romeo and Juliet. So oh, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, but you have to like, 
you have to accept what that movie is in order to get mm-hmm. into it. And, and it's not for everybody. Um, so I was definitely like, this movie is going to be a disaster. I can't fucking wait. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I was going to be excited to see it no matter what. And I actually just totally got revved up watching it. Um, mm. It, it has, it has a, this kind of artificial vigor that actually really works well for Elvis's style. You know, it's a, it's a very impressionistic Mm. portrait. Um, I think it, I think it, um, what's what I'm, what I'm thinking of, like it transcends the walk hard style of musical biopic by just Dewey turning Cox everything has into camp. got to think about his whole life before. <laughs> yeah, like it, it could have gone that route, but it's so campy. It's so jeweled. It's so big that I think it, you don't even, you don't even like have to go down that route of like, oh, this is just like, you know, every other piece of shit biopic that we've seen. Uh, mostly because it's montage, like <laughs> in and of itself, it's, a music video. Um, I thought Austin Butler was just fantastic. If yeah. he, if he is like, I'm at the point where I'm like, if he doesn't win the Oscar, I'd be very surprised. But really? at the same time, I I think he could. I think he honestly could. I mean, it's not to tip my hand. It's a fantastic performance. <laughs> he is. It's really a great movie, and like, it's making money, and is people it making love money? big movies. It's made more than a hundred million at this point. Yeah. Oh, fucking shit! Yeah. I mean, that's good news. Yeah. I'm not. I don't. Yeah, I'm it's not good gonna, news. Oh, it's no. good news. I like. I'm never going to decry a movie doing well. Like, yeah, sure. it's they did an NPR segment about it yesterday. Actually, yeah. that's well, just yeah, domestic. So, it's a domestic is 106 apparently. International is another 64. So good, good for these people. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy about it. Uh, it's really bright. It's airy. I found it kind of moving, and I think one of the reasons that is is because like everybody knows of the Elvis phenomenon and I think what Baz Luhrmann does is he brings out exactly what made Elvis so innovative so revolutionary Mm. so shocking at the time it's not something I ever emotionally connected to before and usually I hate revisionistic history that tries to make it contemporary so that you know our stupid little brains understand it, but actually it works pretty well here. Um, especially like the musical arrangements. I thought that was really great. The costuming mm-hmm. was fantastic. And I 100% agree with you. The pacing is bizarre. Um, there's some point where I'm like, we know nothing about his marriage to Priscilla that is totally breezed over. Yeah. Uh, also, she's very poorly cast. Looks absolutely nothing like Priscilla does not have any of Priscilla's like, Va va boom, whatever. Uh, now I've got to look. And yet they spend the like twenty minutes on this Christmas special thing. Where I was like, "Why are we still here doing this?" Um, yep. So yeah, that was a little odd, but it, it it ends up working. Like, is Tom Hanks in a fat suit and a Dutch accent? Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was surprising. I mean, given like if you listen to that clip that you just played, the first thing you hear is some, some people say I'm a villain. It sounds like it's going to be that over the top. It's actually yeah. at times it's a pretty subtle performance considering he's wearing a fat suit and surrounded. Yeah, by consider- exactly. Role. It's like you just have to roll with it's it. Better than Colin why. Farrell in the fucking Batman. <laughs> oh, God, don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> I, I have speaking no of, comment. Haven't speaking seen of three-hour movies where excellent actors are putting a shit ton of makeup. Got it. Yeah. 
but anyway, so I just, I had fun and I remember finishing the movie um, and my husband was like, I really like that. I was like, I really like that. And we were both kind of shocked that the other one you enjoyed it as much as the weren't willing did. to be the first person to admit to liking it. <laughs> no, I was just like kind of floored by how, how moving it was and how, um, propulsive it was it was just i really enjoyed it and then my my husband ended up did, uh buying sorry what i was gonna say is that my husband did end up buying a lace shirt while we we're on vacation uh, what uh, <laughs> it might be a little bit inspired by Elvis. Oh, wow that's cute question mark it is very cute it's got a lot of sea creatures on it okay sure. it is lace you can't see his nipples though I'm you're welcome. Are you happy about that? Like, I mean, I mean, I think it's an an acceptable lace shirt. Cool. All right. All right. Now let's hear you tear it apart. I'm getting ready for a fight. Are you serious? Oh, I loved this movie. Oh, good. It's you. Wow. I, I don't I am literally shocked that you were shocked by this. I said something like not to tip my hands, but it's an incredible performance. Well, yeah, but like to be like begrudging and like, well, the movie Austin sucked, Butler but centers Austin this Butler's otherwise fun. unremarkable, <laughs> overly produced drag of a movie from Hollywood's resident rhinestone hack Baz Luhrmann. No, <laughs> it's I like Baz. I like little you know, fucking Moulin Rouge. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, Romeo plus Juliet. I, I went to bat for the great Gatsby. There you go. Yeah. I, I like all this stuff. You went and to like, Batsby. <laughs> oh my God. God Why did I not shoot say that? Me, kill me. It, no, no, you, no, you did. You did well. That was my bad. Not to do that. <laughs> Toby McGuire. Those are the lowest form of humor. <laughs> anyway. Um, what was I going to say? I like this movie. I really enjoyed it. I was were nervous about spending three hours in the middle of a Saturday going to see a Baz Luhrmann movie about Elvis because there's a part of you where you're like, all right, I know this director and I am, I am aware enough of this famous person that this could either be an incredibly good melding of artist and subject matter or it could be a fucking nightmare. Like mm-hmm. it could be a thing where it's like, it's too perfect and he's doing too much of the stuff you're expecting him to do. And it becomes grating. Um, like if you go to a carnival, for instance, and you're like, Oh, I love carnival food. Carnival food's the best. I'm going to get uh deep fried Oreos and a Twinkie. That's also deep fried and funnel cake <laughs> and cotton candy. And now I'm going to go on all the rides and you got everything you wanted, you know, but you weren't prepared to pay for the content. But now your mouth that. is slick. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie oh, was really good. And I think I have a similar thing where I'm like, oh, right. I forget that Baz loves to drag his characters down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? This like, is what I'm saying. You totally yeah. forget. He I does it like, in every movie. Yeah, I was prepared for like every beat of this movie except for the end where I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, because there was a part of me that's like, how is he going to like handle the, the the downfall? And I was like, oh, right. No, this guy fucking loves downfalls. Yeah, he's, he's the king of downfalls. And by the way, though, I will say like to me, the, it is the most effective moment in the movie is the ending. And I'll, I won't say what that is, but I will say that it is actual footage of Elvis. And yeah. it's the yeah. most emotionally like it's I was just surprised it's by crazy. how moved I was. Yeah. That's I, what I'm saying. And it is it is a testament to Baz 
I keep calling. Am, am I just going to call him Baz for the entire episode? Yeah, I guess I. I think I, that's your right. Okay, cool. And your it's, duty. It's like when I talk about you know a hidden life, and I just call him Terry the whole time. Um, well, it's because you wish he was your bro. It's I wish different. that Terry and I just went and sat in the middle of fields and watched the sunset and talked about God. Um, yep. Anyway, uh, um, what was I going to say? Something about. Something about how uh, it's a testament to Baz and Austin Butler um, regarding everything that they've done previously, that they've really made you care about Elvis, who's a guy who, like, is at this point more character than human to most people. That's right. And that I was also like, as the ending was coming, where they start using actual archival footage of Elvis, I was legitimately like, is that... Is that is that Austin? No, that's mm-hmm. that's that's it. Like that's not mm-hmm. usually when they do that at the end of a movie, it's like at the end of Argo, a movie that I enjoy. All right, so this isn't like just me slamming Argo for no reason. But <laughs> no, please, they do that, by all means, slam it. I enjoy Argo. Argo's a fun movie, and it's got Rory Cochran in it. But like, it does that thing at okay. the end of these true movies where it's like, ah, uh, now here's the pictures of the real people, and it's like, who gives a fuck? Bring yeah. Rory Cochran back <laughs> and Leah Duvall. But in this movie. It's it's great because it, it feels as though it is part of a continuum. And and watching that final archival kind of jaunt through through all that is is really moving and powerful. And I, I really liked it. So yeah, I, and I also like I just like I said, Elvis Elvis Presley has become more character than human. Yes, and, exactly. And and this movie humanizes him really well, but also it just like it's it's great to remember like how fucking good his music actually is. Yeah. Like it is, yeah. I have bone deep memories of hearing these songs with my parents, like in the car, you know, and I think that they were actually probably, they were of the Beatles generation. So like, there's a point in this movie where they're like, you know, uh, like, you know, for the youth, like here's what's happening in, in Las Vegas. And for the older crowd, here's Elvis. And I guess they would have been the people who thought that Elvis was like old people music. Yeah. Um, and and but I remember hearing them like him singing in the car, like, you know, uh, the, the the what's the what's the the it's from the trailer, the caught in a trap. Oh yeah, uh, suspicious minds. Yeah, like things like that, and just like even just like the jailhouse rock for some reason got played a lot in my elementary school because <laughs> it was like fun for kids to dance to, because it's just got that kind of like rowdy rhythm that fucking anarchaic kids love, <laughs> and. Just things like, like, it's just so good. Like the Heartbreak Hotel. You just forget, like, what a voice, what a presence yeah, this guy Yeah, 100%. Had. It's like Elvis has been filtered so many times through popular culture, through our elders. I never had a direct connection with him before. Yeah, Like, right. I heard his music, but it was like... It, it was just like all oh, that old people shit, like doo-wop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I feel like Elvis had a moment during my generation, which um was when Which is released... my generation. <laughs> yeah, talking about our generation. Um <laughs> so there was that thing where they it was like when the Beatles released their like 50 number ones, you know, they yeah. had kind of a resurgence. And then Elvis had a, a like Elvis one CD compilation, like remastered, and it was like 30 right. songs. And like, I remember my parents buying it and lust listening to it and it just being like, yeah, man, this rules. Like, this is, this is awesome. I love these. But there was a, there was like a remix on that of a little less conversation 
Mm-hmm. That became like weirdly popular amongst the youth at the that time, was, like uh, myself. That was the dude uh, who did the soundtrack for Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, that was Junkie uh, XL? Yeah, Junkie XL. Little less conversation. Yeah, it's definitely it. It was, and it was, by the way, like some gigantic hit in the UK. Oh, yeah. Too. Official JXL remix. Yep. I had no idea. I didn't, I, this is, sounds dumb as fuck, but I didn't realize JXL was <laughs> Junkie XL. <laughs> I know. You probably figured it out later that that sounds cooler. Junkie XL is cooler. Yeah. But it's, that is an amazing thing. And for me, by the way, like growing up, like I'm kind of an indie rock punk kind of guy at heart. And I liked early, like I was the guy who got the sun sessions because it's unadorned, right? It's just yeah. like this, you know, kid from the you know backwaters who's just going into the studio. He's just going in there and singing his heart out and you can just hear it before he gets glossed over and they start putting strings on him and stuff like that. But what yeah. this movie does that's actually interesting is that it treats that Vegas era of his existence as an, an artistic choice yes. that he consciously made that kicked ass. And that I don't think I've ever seen. Like it's oh, that is the part that he's. It's always stereotyped. It's always caricatured. Like the kind of sweaty Elvis in that iconic white jumpsuit with the gigantic (laughs) leg holes. It's Um, true because like I was waiting for that, and they're like, oh, like you know, when Major Tom, Colonel Tom, (laughs) is like, oh, like the International Hotel, the biggest stage, and I was like, oh, this is it. This is like the downfall. But then Elvis like walks in there. He's like, I've got ideas. Yeah, need, this is gonna I be awesome. The uh, I could, don't even remember the name of the the women who were the singers or the men who were the singers. He's like, I need a thirty six piece orchestra, and like it shows them like working together, and you're yep. like, oh right, this wasn't like kitsch, like nonsense to these people. They were like, we have un, like restricted creative control to be as batshit nuts as we want to be. <laughs> he has agency. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. I was thinking exactly that. Like this movie is giving him agency. It's weird. But it's true. I've always thought of him as this like manipulated, you know, kind of slightly. Maybe I thought of him as like, maybe not dumb, but simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like just easily led. Like, oh, him. you know, mama's boy. Yeah. He is complicit in this movie in his own myth making for sure. There's yeah. like the conversation where they decide to get in bed together, you know, business wise. He, he basically, Colonel Tom is basically like, you want to basically snowball the entire, like you just snow everybody and like con everyone out of a whole bunch of money and like be a huge superstar. And he's like, yep. hundred <laughs> percent. And they like basically hug when they go into that uh, Vegas theater. Yeah. It's like a pretty amazing moment. No, like that, that whole Vegas section, while it's good, is like transformative of my conception of Elvis as a person and an artist. But here's here's what I ask you. Do you, is it true? Is this revisionist or do we know, is there some truth to that? Nobody knows. I don't know. I know. Like, I wait, wait, repeat the question. Repeat the original statement. Is it true that Elvis had that kind of like artistic agency at that point? Like, was he the guy? Like, they're showing him basically arranging those songs in real time. He's like, I want the horns to do this right here. And now, no, actually, an octave. It was like a very Brian Wilson (laughs) moment. Yeah. It's Elvis Wilson. I honestly don't know. That's a good question. I mean, like, the other thing. I don't know enough about his real biography. This isn't like a biography directed by some stately british no <laughs> no it's it's an impressionistic portrait right. i mean so it doesn't like, have to matter you could you could come up to me and say that like 
oh, like that whole movie was fake and everything was wrong. And like, you know, he didn't even marry Priscilla. And I would be like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> like probably believe that. But it's, it is interesting still to see that like happen. Like it's just, it's, mm. it's uh, so like there was a part of me that I just kind of like, I gave myself into it. And it definitely like glossed over certain things and didn't engage with certain things perhaps as much as someone would want it to. But I also think those things that it wasn't engaging with weren't, 100% the story it was trying to tell. Yeah. So like, right. you know, it's it's fine with me. Like there the, the no one thing can ever encompass one person's life or even an aspect of a person's life. And I think that if if you're really looking to like ding this movie about like it's it's work with like his place in terms of the system of like racial politics or anything, I would say that I walking out of this movie would be interested to read like a book about that. Yeah, that's right. Like that then, sounds that's, awesome. I don't know that there yeah. was space for that in this movie. And I think it didn't cover it up. It definitely like talked about it quite a bit. I just, you know, it was never going to be the focus of the movie. No, sure. I mean, I think it's a good thing if a, if a movie sends you out going like, gee, how, I wonder how much of that is impressionistic and how much of that is true. It's maybe it's done its job. It's like it's made you interested enough to f- find out the real thing. And Boz is definitely not telling you that he's giving you a documentary here. Well, I mean, like sure. you can tell just from the fact that it's Colonel Tom Parker who's the the narrator. Yeah, right. You know, it's just like, yeah, this guy was a fucking flimflam man, and uh, you know, we're never going to all agree on the history and the background and the personality of Elvis, but we can agree that he was a star. Like yeah. one of the one of the chirons at the end of the movie is just like he's the best selling solo artist of all time ever. And like, that's, if you want like quantifiable objective facts, that's one of them. <laughs> and that's what the movie's basically saying. Like, look at this guy. <laughs> can we talk this? though, can we talk a little bit about the walk hard though aspects of this? Cause Please. I feel like, cause I feel like there are times I, I, I think you're, you're right in certain scenes, but I would push back a little on other scenes. Like there are literally scenes in this that could have been in walk hard, you know, filmed slightly less exaggeratedly. So I, like, I suppose, you know, it's, it's funny because all like walk hard came on the heels of Ray and walk the line, of course, which have like defined what our modern conception of these musical music biopics is. And it's, it's unfortunate because like I walked into this movie not knowing about Elvis's like dead on arrival twin brother. And I was thinking of, of all these movies and I'm just like, I wonder if we're going to end Elvis. You just called a stillborn child a DOA. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Like it flopped real bad. What heart. (laughs) They got to the, you know, hospital and he was dead already so he was was dead on arrival i don't know i don't know what to tell you his stillborn twin um and i i didn't know about that but i walked in the movie and i just kind of jokingly said to myself like can't wait to see what dead sibling haunted elvis for his but that's the joke that (laughs) was like but that's that was the joke in the original movie all of these people have that that. do you remember in ray in ray his little brother like drown in a in a wash basin No, but that's my point. Like, they, in Walk Hard... He cuts his brother in half. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's what they're parodying. Yeah, they're parodying Elvis along with those things. It's It's true, but but the movie happened, but Walk Hard happened. You have to acknowledge when you're making a movie that's not a parody. (laughs) A parody exists that you don't want to be confused with, probably. 
But it's just, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, Elvis also has like a dead sibling. And I'm never going to be famous because well, all of my siblings are fucking alive. But that's not one of the scenes I'm talking about, I should say. Like, oh, okay. I'm I'm thinking more of like the scene. There's, by the way, how, how many spoilers are we allowed to drop? We're, we're just full Justin, spoilers go right for now. it. Go doing. for it. There's, uh, you know, actually, this is not a spoiler because it's also in every rock biopic that's ever been made where Elvis gets on stage. There's an audience of people who are like, who's this guy? What's he going to do? And at first, it seems like he's a little shy. And then he starts moving his hips and the ladies literally <laughs> jump up and are screaming. Panty drop. Literally panty dropping, <laughs> throwing things at him. I don't know. Like, those panties oh, get higher than those panties would have gotten otherwise. <laughs> they get thrown in the air onto the stage. Women are hyperventilating and things like that. It is exactly what happens in Walk Hard. So if you're going to now, but, but they're making fun of Elvis in that movie. I know, but I'm but I'm saying that if you then ape the exact scene from a parody, then you're gonna. It's like a reclamation gonna, project, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean. Even, they, but I will say, weirdly, that scene worked for me. And I don't know why, even though I it was like, oh, I love that scene. I, that I just blew me away. I don't know. Watching Thanks. all these like tea kettles of female arousal just go off was just the fucking greatest thing ever. It's amazing. And I think it's because Boz does have a sense of humor about it. Like, oh, there's yeah. no question. Oh, 100%. That he's it's insane. And he yeah. has Colonel Tom. I keep being nervous that I've said Major Tom again. Colonel Tom even says, like, I don't know jack shit about women, but I 100% know <laughs> that she was feeling something that made her excited and guilty. And yeah. I needed to bottle that. And I just don't <laughs> but, even know how you cast and then direct the, the actress who was the first one to scream. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's and, and she it has to be perfect. Amazing. Right. She is the linchpin on which this entire movie rests. <laughs> You have to believe her to believe everyone else and then to believe Elvis moving forward. No, for sure. But then there are other scenes, and I don't know why. Like, maybe you as astute viewers can tell me why. There are other scenes, like the, uh, you know, again, obligatory scene in any kind of early rock movie where the white artist goes and sees a black uh, blues ju uh, juke joint going on. And it's this incredible world that has never been opened up to him before and it's this and it's always i mean in walk hard it's like exaggerated to the point of insanity where it's like the dancers are like basically having sex with each other and it's like <laughs> taken to this libidinous over amplification and like you could argue that it's again it's almost exactly like that scene from walk hard here only like not played for laughs and there was a part of me that was just kind of like seriously like maybe particularly in our current moment maybe this could be portrayed slightly differently i don't know it is, but you tell me. It is one of those things where I I I go back and forth on how I I feel about the the portrayal of like the difference between like white culture and black culture in this movie, because like it seems as though the driving force between behind every white person in this movie who's not like a teenager is I don't know what fun is, but I don't like it. Mm. And it's like that it's that thing that like um that like white people have no culture. And mm. so they steal it from everyone else. And like this yeah. movie makes it because like the white people we see in this movie are just like random clean cut all American white folks who stand on a lawn in front of their like apartment building and mm. just make fun of Elvis. And like that seems <laughs> to be their day, um, except for the <laughs> girls who like say hi to him and then hang out under the streetlight <laughs> waiting to catch a glimpse of him. Whereas like all of the black people on Beale Street are like, 
like 12 Real people. 12 seconds and two lines of dialogue away from bursting into like a full on musical number like well ex- although there's bb king um who is, sorry is it bb king yeah i thought right i feel like that character is like it's interesting he's like the closest thing to a wingman in the movie or something and it's yeah, actually it's one Calvin of the more Harrison jr yep and it's one of the most understated performances in the whole <laughs> oh thing. he's great i kind of wish that the movie had been more about honestly elvis and and his his relationship with all these other people we see little richard who does not get his name dropped which yep. i think is fine because another walk hard thing is like Wow, it's really nice to meet you, John Lennon. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I love that that movie. I listen to probably one song from that soundtrack like every day of my life. Yep. Walk Hard. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 But I just think about like, you know, I once asked my dad like what what his family did, you know, because like I was an idiot kid and I was like, I don't understand. You couldn't watch VHS tapes and you couldn't like play Sega Genesis. So what did you do? And he was like, I don't know, like a bunch of the families would get together and we'd like bust out our fucking fiddles. And play yep. a bunch of Irish music oh, and dance off. a bunch. Robin? Fuck <laughs> <off>. <laughs> you know? Like these people do stuff. Like, I don't know. It's it it just it it it's one of those things where it's like, we need to really drive home the fact that like white people didn't want anything to do with black people in America. And like we it 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 feels strange to not give the white people anything at all yeah. to their character except for the hatred. I mean, this is what <laughs> raps about he's like you El- call me the new elvis because this is what i did <laughs> mm, yeah interesting so you're you're saying that you feel like it's a little over amped it's, it's a little it's it's it's, it's too black and white shall any we say. subtlety it's like so bananas that it oh, i didn't realize that you went into a baz lerman film for subtlety <laughs> i don't you know but i i can understand people looking at that and being like this is you know perhaps not the nuanced portrait of race relations and like the cross-pollination of culture and elvis's place in in at once helping to usher black artists into the mainstream while also profiting off of an art form that they created that maybe you need from an Elvis thing. So like, I can understand people who want that being upset about it at the same time. You saw that Baz Luhrmann was directing this. He wrote it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We should also talk, I think about the music in this film, which is, uh, Yeah, I mean, like, it's the opposite, basically. I mean, and he's been doing this since Gatsby, I feel like. I I mean, obviously, he's been doing it really since Moulin Rouge, but this is really where he takes the last few years is really where he's taken it to another level. And it's interesting because the music, the music is not, as I was just saying, black and white, it is a complete fusion. And there's a moment that I feel like kind of embodies it which is the moment where it's actually that Jew joint moment where he's like literally peering through like the rusty <laughs> tin walls <laughs> and seeing kind of blues players and like black people dancing. And then across the way, there's like a revival tent happening. And it's like, it's so obvious. It's basically like Buzz is he's literally like, look, <laughs> there are two sides that influenced Elvis's music. Here they are in the same field on the other side of the field. And he's running between one and the other. But somehow it was, I found that sequence beautiful. Love Why that did I- sequence so much. Why did, Why did I love it so much? I don't know, man. Because it's fucking great. And he's got the lightning bolt around his neck because he wants to be Mr. Marvel Jr. or Captain Marvel Jr. or whatever the fuck his name is. Dude, you know, I missed that. I totally missed that. (laughs) Yeah. How did I miss the TCB lightning bolt origin story? That's amazing. 
Oh, what does TCB stand for? Uh, taking care of business. Oh, okay. Oh. Which, which is another, so I'm just realizing there are actually subtle moments in this. At one point, his father says, yep, we're just taking care of business, but they don't dwell on it. Like everybody in his crew at one point had that lightning bolt with TCB on it and they all oh, had like pendants of it. Cause I like noticed that obviously on like the poster and like at the, and I was like, I don't think they ever told me what that meant. I've got to Google that. And then I forgot to Google that. It was his slogan. But yeah, I mean, like it's this, that's like the visual representation of the music in this movie, which I think is like pretty red, especially that again, that Vegas era of his music. It just, there's a moment. I mean, it's not in a way it's as Baz Luhrmann does with everything. He's over amplifying the actual greatness of those songs. Those songs are really cool. I do love those pop songs, but he like the sound design in this movie is out of control. So this like (laughs) the, the trumpet hits just like blast your face yes. off and you're like, this is like the punkest Vegas, you know, 36 <laughs> piece orchestra. But it was song. punk at the time. Like you think, well, not literally punk, but you know what I mean? It was, it was punk before it was punk. Look, it was, it was guys in leather jackets with yeah. rinds with little rivets attached and like fucking hair slicked up. I mean, it, it was punk. Uh, back in the, like his uh, his rock days or the or the Vegas days, but either I mean, but when I say I mean punk and as in like um, like bucking countercultural, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. The spirit of punk without the aesthetics that we've come to attach to punk. If that's true, like I do feel like that's Boz bringing himself to it. I don't think that that was the case at the time. Because it's, I mean, like they say it basically, like this was for old people. That was music for old people. It was like taking rock and roll and putting this, you know, an orchestra behind it felt like the totally 70s. No, no, I don't, I don't mean, um, I don't mean it that way. What I mean is like he's amplifying for modern audiences what it could have felt like to hear something completely radical at the time. Which, you know, sure. it, it works. It's great. I think it works. Yeah, it does. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm what I'm also trying to like, as you guys are talking about it, I'm like, yeah, that is pretty great. But I do feel like in the middle of this movie, it flags for me. It, it, it definitely does. It definitely does. I am what, positive and, that my recollection of this movie is mentally editing out the slower, more boring parts, <laughs> um, which do is we do that? maybe we like, Maybe we do that for all Baz Luhrmann movies. There is a part of me that thinks that that's true. Like I, there are scenes, like as I was saying, I love uh, Great Gatsby. And every now and then I'll break it out and I'll remember that there are actually big chunks of that movie that are kind of like, eh, you know, yeah, this I isn't mean, the fun part. It's like going to a party, you know, like you, you, when you talk about the party the next day, you get like 15 minutes worth of conversation out of it. You know, because you edit out the parts where you had to like wait in line for the bathroom or like, you know, (laughs) suddenly you didn't know anyone and you were just standing there smoking a cigarette, hoping that people would think you weren't talking to anyone because you were smoking a cigarette, not because you suddenly felt very self-conscious, you know. (laughs) Baz Luhrmann is that party of movies. Yes. Okay. Every once in a while, you just need a breather from it. All right. One more one more cultural thing I want to throw out for discussion meat for for you to chew on uh the right at the very beginning here's here's the thing i'm going to name drop and i'm sorry i'm going to do this i actually interviewed baz Luhrmann one time and uh, although i think what i'm about to say is probably not necessarily something he only told me i haven't read enough interviews with him to know so i'm going to just say that uh he said and we were talking about music and he said that like a formative moment for him was hearing space oddity 
um, as a very young, like he might've been 10 years old at these other kids' house. They like turned off the lights and played Space Oddity and it like changed his entire life. And it's obvious from his movies, which are basically like the visual equivalent of David Bowie's career. (laughs) (laughs) There is a a trailer for a David Bowie movie before this movie. Really? It was that what? It was like a documentary or something. It was like Brett oh. something's oh. Moon Dance or Moon something. Moon Age Daydream, know. maybe. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and uh, literally watching it, I was like, "How come Baz hasn't made anything about David Bowie?" Yeah, <laughs> like was is that maybe? Wait, who did the Velvet? Jesus, oh, not Velvet, Velvet Goldmine. Todd Haynes. Yeah, that's a great movie. It is. Oh, I was and, thinking uh, 24 hour party people for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> very, That's great. also a decent movie. Yeah, it is, but a very different kind of movie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I mentioned it because it's like very early on. It's actually in the same scene with uh, where the girls are, you know, losing their minds for the first time watching Elvis perform. Colonel Tom has a uh, moment where he's talking about Elvis and he describes him and he says something along the lines of, it's like butch jacket or something like that, or like, you know, tough, tough clothes or something like that. Pretty boy makeup or something, pretty boy look or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed throughout the whole thing, Elvis is wearing eyeliner. He's got kind of like these long lashes or something. And it's, it feels, and the way that he's shot, there's even a scene a little bit later on where he's in his house and they're like showing him merchandise and he's dressed in this almost kind of glammy, uh, kind of, I don't know, like gender fluid outfit. And it feels like Boz is kind of like trying to make Elvis like the first incarnation of David Bowie to me. Does that- Or a queer icon, a proto-queer icon. You think that's right? Potentially. Because that's interesting. I never thought of it. definitely do seem to be some men in this movie who uh, are having an understated version of the effect that he's having on the women. Oh, oh, right. You're right. Like there's There's like like when the governor is like, you know, shouting because Elvis is on TV. (laughs) There's a boy in that living room who's definitely like feeling it. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think right. I, I mean, Elvis is kind of an interesting figure because. I think he does predate the gender bending parts of the seventies and eighties when it came to rock and roll. Cause you have this like incredibly beautiful man who accentuates his beauty. Uh, and I also guy, think that is, know? yeah, but, but not, but not in this overtly masculine way. I mean, he almost takes the tropes of feminine peacocking to complete his persona i i i kind of love that um and it reminds me a lot of like i mean i've heard this mentioned quite a bit but a lot of the teeny bop or idols you know now or even 20 or 30 years ago uh were were boys who were beautiful you know these like not feminine features. Like I'm not going to go as far to say that, but they, but they're almost like sexless, amorphous. Um, I would, I like, so in, in thinking back on like the, the Backstreet Boys and in sync and stuff, um, I would say they're almost like or one direction or, or even I BTS didn't know or one direction. Uh, BTS, I would say if it's this, they, they are almost like angelic. In their <laughs> they're pretty. Of, they're, they're pretty. Yeah, they, they are an ethereal, <laughs> beautiful, that somehow doesn't seem to fit into like it, it's got like masculine and feminine ideas. So it's like that 
that like overtly gorgeous androgynous angelic like whenever i think of angels i think of them as as not particularly like having a gender really right yes. being yes like they don't have a sex they're just like a gorgeous being that like seems <laughs> to approximate humanity and i think that there is a thing to that like where you 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 know people grow up and their first crush is not usually someone that like an adult would be like oh right i get it because you don't usually go for like the beardos or <laughs> i mean i can't speak from for men but it's but young girls don't typically go for for guys like that they go for like very clean shaven like the wispy <laughs> blonde hair like yeah exactly i know so like i was way into indiana jones uh before any women i knew were like into that kind of dude like the dusty mm -hmm. with the, the grizzled and he could take a punch you know because <laughs> i think as a boy i was like that's the man i want to be mm -hmm. and yeah. it took like you know i don't know 18 years for women to suddenly <laughs> be like oh right no that is the man i want to be with like i don't want to be with nicholas jack dawson <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even think. I was trying to remember the name of wow. any of the most famous people. And instead, apparently, I went with someone from 98 Degrees. <laughs> Lance Bass. There we go. But but that's my point. And I think Elvis kind of uh, maybe was one of the first figures that brought that out in young girls. Like that he, but he was also sexual. So it's it's hard. To, I'm not saying he was sexless, but he he was beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that Austin Butler, although as attractive as he is, is as beautiful as Elvis. See, it, what's weird? It's to all me, about the charisma for me. What's weird to me, Robin, is that I think Austin Butler is more beautiful than Elvis. I think Elvis yeah, I did, did. had oh, kind of like a so. like a rounded face, kind of like ruggedly handsome thing. And Austin Butler has very feminine features, which is fine. Like, oh, I, know, I think the complete opposite. That's okay. Interesting. Well, Chalk that up to sex will, or you know just general life experience maybe I don't know. I will I will say early Elvis though he he definitely has like baby cheeks in a way a little bit like kind of soft cheeks and like the I mean he's got the pouty lips that's for dang sure yeah um but I don't know I felt like I and maybe the reason is because I just watched this movie and it's like Boz Norman is never not going to make his main character look anything except like the most amazing looking person in the world baz um, lerman believes in beauty yes <laughs> unlike robin barr who believes in i stars. don't i am not a beauty person <laughs> i am more likely to believe in aliens than believe in the like magical soul of gaia or whatever yes you watch the tree of life and assume that the opening <laughs> passage from job is about aliens Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not not like a not like a UFO person, but yeah, I was going through a phase. Hundred percent a UFO somewhere. person, I believe. I'm not. Elvis is with them. They took Elvis. Bring him back. <laughs> Can I ask you? Do did the movie need to be almost three hours long? Absolutely. I barely felt it. It. I didn't really? feel it really. I didn't. But uh, except for when I like went outside, I was like, oh fuck, I gotta get home. Um. <laughs> You feel it when you look at the clock again. I just, I still don't think it was totally necessary. And I honestly think there's a way to structure it that's not so linear, maybe. And that is more Elvis focused, not Colonel Tom focused. That like maybe you could have done something more interesting with it, you know. But like, I, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't mad at it. 
Yeah, it is actually in, in thinking about it, it does surprise me a little bit that he didn't scramble it a little more because it is so the general arc of his life is pretty well known. It's like comes yeah. from nothing, the sun moment, then his early hits, then a brief stint in the army, then Vegas, then the end. And it's kind of like, really, like there was no, I mean, he he plays with time all the time, Baz Luhrmann. I mean, yeah. the, the, what do you call it? Moulin Rouge starts in the, Moulin Rouge and Great Gatsby start in the present and then flash back and then consistently flash forward. Is it like um, a, in media res? Uh, remind me what that is again. <laughs> I'll let Brian take this one. That's when the movie starts mid-action. And then, it, it, you know that thing where it's like record scratch? Like, hey, that's yes. me. You might be wondering how I got here. That's like, like the Odyssey. version of In Media Res. That's right. Um, yeah, that could, that could have actually been a little effective. I do also wonder what would happen if they had it with Elvis narrating it. So I, uh, for whatever reason, as we were getting- I feel like he's too unknowable. as we were getting ready to talk about this i was like would it have been interesting if like the movie took place as a kind of like shadow play of like older elvis like basically like wrestling with not physically but like even like verbally or psychologically with his younger selves and like looking back i like him a little mysterious i think that would have been maybe too reaching yeah i I withdraw my question (laughs) I think that it's it's better to just kind of like go with the flow. And again, to have Colonel Colonel Tom. I, if, now that you've mentioned Space Odyssey, I'm even more nervous that I'm going to say Major Tom. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Colonel Tom is the guy because like Colonel Tom's a fucking lying piece of shit. So we can't trust anything he says anyway. So like our Elvis in this movie is allowed to be bigger than life, is allowed to be a little unknowable, is allowed to be kind of strange. Um because he's getting filtered through the the eyes of a man who used him primarily as a money cow. Yeah, sure. Also, the the uh, something that I'm just thinking of for some reason, and it, something you just said reminded me of it. So forgive me. But the the sentiment at the end of the film is this idea of love being this the thing that killed him, mm. and it feels like that's running through all of Baz Luhrmann's work, like or at least a lot of it. Uh, that love, uh, and, and and it's like. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this story is exactly the story to pin that on. Somehow, I'm not sure that it's true. Like he, it seems like the turning point for Elvis is when he loses his mother, and it's like is it, I don't. I'm not sure what it is, but it kind of it feels like Baz Luhrmann really likes to make all of his movies about how love uh, it can it, love hurts so good. Basically, it's mm-hmm. something that you that is wonderful. I mean, like God, it's like literally. I think the tagline i can't remember what it is of moulin rouge but it's something like the only thing you'll ever know the only thing you need to know is to love and to be loved in return or something like that I think but of course it also kills him at the end um and i'm not sure that it works for this thing it's like he wants it to be about that but it's not quite i mean love of whom it, yeah because we don't know priscilla at all exactly well, i think because she to to the to, to baz lerman's mind was not his love his love was the audience like that's why it especially comes through at the end when Tom keeps fucking saying like, you know, for you, he did this for you. And he's talking to us out in the audience. Like, you know, we're the the, the public, the people. Um, but is it because because the other thing is that he basically says early on that he acknowledges that like Elvis acknowledges early on that this is all a con. 
like that, that show, he doesn't acknowledge it, but to a certain extent, he understands that show business is like winning over strangers. Well, yeah. Basically. And I think honestly, like it's, uh, it's difficult to tell because while I think he did enjoy, at least this movie posits that he enjoyed his first five years in Las Vegas at the end, it became like a prison. Otherwise right. Colonel Tom would like, you know, try to take him for $8 million. Um, right. Which when he starts rattling off all those expenses and he starts off with like gas being like, you know, to Georgia, like <laughs> yeah. 125. And I was like, oh, this guy has so many receipts. This is fucked up. Um, it's really true. Yeah. And you know, him. that's a great character moment, by the way. You're like, of course. He, he says like 1955, too. So you're like from day goddamn one. This yep. friggin' asshole has been like, oh, I'm just going to keep all this in my back pocket. So because he's a he's a con man. He's a he yeah he's he's waiting for the moment he can use that. uh, But a con man usually like gets the money and runs. You know, like this guy was like like he almost calls him a vampire, and he's not fucking wrong. Like you know he's he's got he's like a tick. You know we haven't actually talked about Tom Hanks's performance, and I'm. uh, (laughs) Is there much to talk about? It's it's weird, right? Yeah, it's weird that there's not much to talk about because it's like, what a bizarre figure. I, I hadn't, I mean, I really didn't have any idea. Uh, I'm assuming that this is true, that Colonel Tom Parker was actually a Dutchman who like really had no country and didn't even have a passport. That's what this movie posits. That, I mean, they say that he, that was his legal defense was he was a citizen of no nation. <laughs> Which is, it's like admit, when you have to admit that to get out of trouble, that seems like you're in pretty bad trouble. Right. Like, hey, look, I'm here illegally. So, <laughs> so I'm on so I'm me, on his uh, Wikipedia page, which, you know, yes, let me says, off. Thomas Andrew Parker, born Andreas Cornelius Dreis von Kuzkik. Sounds pretty Dutch. Commonly if. known as Colonel Parker, was a Dutch born musical entrepreneur, best known for being Elvis Presley's manager. There you go. And so it's like it, it it's does so- it does seem it does seem like they have a lot of information here as long as it's all can be backed up. But it's, it's a, also like what a crazy character and it's like and yet he's overshadowed somehow. Right. In in any other if he had not done if he had not been Elvis's manager, if he had stayed with people like fucking Hank Snow and Jamie Snow or whatever his name is. Sounds like a Game yeah. of Thrones thing. Um <laughs> If if he had stuck with them, it, 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 you could make a movie that was just all about Tom Parker. Like, here's this fucking crazy-ass Dutchman who moved to America and believed in the American dream, and he scammed the shit out of everyone. And then you can, like, end the movie with a montage of WeWork and Theranos and be like, you know, a hundred years of scamming. Um, You're good, man. That's thank true. You. Thank you. Um, I'd watch that. But uh, but instead, he, he actually is one of the scammers who struck gold and his fucking flim flam was fucking Elvis goddamn Presley. <laughs> so he's amazing. And it's great. And it's he, every minute of his life must've been like, I did it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about this a lot because you see, you see things like agents and managers and, and I don't know, like venture capitalists. And you think like, life is kind of made up of two people either you're the talent or you're the or you're the wrangler like you're the Mm. talent you're the talent wrangler um and i don't know what would you rather be yeah i mean like the smart person is the talent wrangler somebody once told me it's like if you're a creator you're always the sucker um (laughs) 
because you're always, you know, like there's too many of you and not enough of the people (laughs) with the money. Um, But, you know, if you want to have a soul, (laughs) there, uh, which is not to say to all the agents out there that you don't have souls and I need your representation at some point, probably. (laughs) Um, But it's like, yeah, I mean, it seems obvious that it's like you're more likely to have a soul if you create something rather than like selling something. Yeah, selling somebody else's creation. The thing you're selling is another person in a way. Like, right. you know, it's it's difficult. Like I But on I, the other Go for it. Well, I was going to say like at the distillery like I, when I get to talk to people, I think one of the reasons that people like to come to the distillery is that they get to talk to my friend Arthur and I as we talk about these things that we've created from nothing. Mm. And like, you know, our 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 story isn't Oh, we, uh, you know, had been working at another place and then decided to make our own. And so we got a bunch of investors and like, we did it. Ours is like, we met after college. We drank all the goddamn time at parties. We started to realize that we would drunkenly have conversations about how, why certain things tasted better. And then like, just talked about doing our own distillery over and over again. And then 10 years later, at some point he said to me, like, I'm doing it. Are you in? And I was like, yes, fuck. Yeah, let's do it. And we did it and it's all us and it's only us. And like, there is a passion to that, that people can feel and see. Mm. And like, yeah, like being the creator in that way, you know, you do have that soul. Like, I don't, Tom doesn't ever engage with Elvis as an artist. It's always as a commodity. Like he, Mm -hmm. he, like, even when Elvis does like his, like a, if I can dream song, um, Tom is begrudgingly respectful, not of the like beauty of the song or the message, but the fact that he like made this power move and it worked out. And so like they have more money now. <laughs> That's true. He does. I, I think Tom Hanks is a good enough of an actor that he tries to put some soul into like a little bit moments of, and or, or, or either he did this or Baz Luhrmann found those moments and put them in because it's just kind of boring to have like a total villain. But I do think that there are moments where you can see Colonel Parker being like, I'm playing this guy. Basically, I'm playing the role of this guy's father. I'm, and Elvis at one point calls him a father figure. And it's like you see in his eyes a few times some confusion about that because on some level he knows that it's a complete transactional <laughs> relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's doing it. I don't know. I, it's it's interesting. Something I used to work in Hollywood as a, as a writer a lot. And something that was interesting th- that I felt was that I would meet a lot of producers or agents or things like that. And the story that they would tell, and I think that it's like, it, it's in gen, it's true on, on some level, is that I went to business school and I hung out with a lot of artists and I'm not artistic myself, but I realized I could use my powers as a business person to make life easier for artists that I always saw were being exploited. Or I could take these great artists and get them the things that I knew they deserve because they're awesome artists or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems to me that what actually happens a lot of times is that it's what, what I feel the actual story is. That's the story they tell themselves. But I feel like in a lot of cases, the story is, I wish that I was an artist. That's why I was mm-hmm. hanging around with those artists. But I'm not an artist, but I'm a businessman. And here's how I can hang with them and actually have power over them, which will make me feel better about the fact that I can't create anything. Yeah, I think that's true. Listen, not everybody goes into Hollywood like you can be drawn to the movies and want to be a part of that world. But not everybody is going to have talent or the drive to be a creator. Like some people are just the people who 
you know, sign the jacks or whatever, but that's yeah. still like the, that is the closest they're going to feel to being a part of that um, magical mm-hmm. world that they have probably always been drawn to. Well, there's a reason that, you know, for me at least that I'm, I'm a movie critic or, you know, doing this podcast is because like, I love movies. Right. I wish I could make movies. I don't know if they'd be any good. I don't have the money for every, it. like every critic wants to be a screenwriter or a director. Right. And, I, and I think a lot of people say that derisively, but I think that that is um, not the case. Like they, they usually say it like, Oh, like these disaffected people who couldn't do it. So they critique it. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, for, for me, at least, uh, you know, there's bound to be some people who are just out there fucking eating their sour grapes or sowing <laughs> their sour grapes. What do you do with the sour grapes? You eat them, right? You make <laughs> you wine do. with make them. Wine. Yeah, you make it. Yeah. I think you distill them <laughs> into a brandy. Um, mm, suspicious. Mines. <laughs> anyway, um, but like it, there is an uncharitable way to put that. But then there's the other way, which is I, and honestly, this is kind of how I started my distillery to tie it back to that. You start with an appreciation and a love and you start to kind of autodidactically learn about it with an eye towards maybe doing it. But if you can't do it, you got to pivot that energy into something else. And you either give it up because you know it's never going to work or you do the thing that has an easier access point. And criticism has a very easy access point because you don't need anything but like a pen and some paper. Like my first pieces of criticism that I ever wrote were just in a notebook that I didn't think I'd ever show to anyone. And then Mm -hmm. I started like a blog because I just, again, needed to put my fucking thoughts down. And they weren't like new or interesting, but like I needed that creative outlet. And it's the same with the distillery. Like we would get drunk and then we like started drinking stuff that was a little better and we like we would have these conversations of like he's like I love Angel's Envy. I think it's the fact that like they use these grains and it's in this pork. And I would be like, oh man, for me it's all about the Irish whiskey. I think that the the full barley mash bill with the sweetness and the using of a used cask, so you're not getting so much of an aging is just like a finish on it. Like really helps with the lightness and the butt. And Whoa. we were able to then take all that passion and actually you reversed engineered. Right. It's this and it's the same way that I came to love and talk about movies, right? It's like but I made the distillery happen and I've not made a movie yet. I think um, also if it, if it's true that all critics w- want to be screenwriters, I think the best critics and the ones that are most respected and I'm thinking of people like Roger Ebert uh, who did who actually did write a movie or two yeah. in his day. Um are people who uh, if that was indeed their dream, they at some point realize, you know what? I'm much better at this and I'm happy being doing this. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell the difference between a happy critic and a not happy critic. Like a oh, happy critic absolutely. is somebody like Roger Ebert who wants to like movies. And then there's the unhappy critic who just <laughs> is there yeah. to destroy. Like I, I feel like, you know, I, I went through a, a thing, I think, was it last year, Robin, when I hated every movie I saw? Yeah. And I think that the way that you could tell that I... I'm not like a mean critic who's bitter that I didn't get to make movies is that I didn't take joy in any of the movies that I didn't like. I mm. never had that like this, like I never like sat up with a pen and a paper trying to think of the best slams on the movie. I would just you like Harry Knowles. and sigh deeply into the microphone and say, guys, I think my soul is broken. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. thing that I used to love so much is no longer giving me joy. Like there was heartbreak to every bad review I gave where yeah. I just felt like 
It's like I'd lost my relationship with God. It's just like I used to hear it. And then you saw ambulance and And everything was cured. 100%. Actually, it's funny you say that because watching this movie made me think of ambulance when I'm just like, how, how much do you have to pay an editor to be like, here's the 476 billion terabytes that these artists shot Mm. can you make something with this and they're just like okay all right (laughs) yeah i guess so give me the shot list file and i'll just start working my way through who told michael bay about drones (laughs) (laughs) i haven't seen this movie but i gotta see it oh you gotta see it it's uh it's something I will I will check it. Although speaking of Michael Bay, it's funny that you like talk about bad criticism of Michael Bay. I actually once wrote I think it was just a blog post or something, but it was like it was at a moment I, I had learned that uh maybe it was Transformers 2 was like the biggest number two biggest selling movie of all time, which was like terrible news. But the good news was is that that meant they were gonna make a third Transformers because then we were gonna get all of these wonderful hit pieces that critics were writing about Transformers <laughs> movies. They had so much fun ripping that movie apart. And I feel like it's kind of okay. Like I'm, I'm once met John, I, I heard uh, Jonathan Gold, the f- food critic talking about reviewing uh, uh, restaurants. And he was like, he would never write a, like a hit piece on a small restaurant. Mm-hmm. But if you're a big time restaurant where you've got like multi-million dollar investors and you're charging a thousand dollars a plate and you are not hitting it, then it's like you basically opened yourself up. Like it's basically about power. Yeah. It's yeah. like there was um, a, I think there was a, oh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to be wrong. I think there was like a famous like one or zero star review of like founding farmers, which if it's like a, it's like a thing. It's that's a restaurant the DC thing. in DC and they had a book. Okay like a recipe or whatever book. And it was the whole thing. And like a guy went there and was like, this fucking sucks. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And it's that's like, okay. that's the thing. Cause like those guys are like, uh, they're basically untouchable. Yeah. And yeah. So like, even if any, I think he even, I didn't know we were going to talk about this. I could be wrong. I am <laughs> almost positive in his review. He said like, and the worst part is that like, they're still going to have a, two-month booking backlog even as i write this because no one gives a fuck right transformers is going to make a billion dollars no matter what i write so let's go for it yeah might as well (laughs) i guess well tying it back to colonel tom though this is my question i guess if we're like kind of trying to figure out this guy as a human being is like what is he any of those things is he a frustrated artist like what makes somebody that it's hinted that he might just be psychotic like he might just have like I don't a, know about that. He, somebody mentions, I mean, it's somebody who obviously wants to tear his uh, character, it's character assassination, but uh, it's implied that he had like a uh, psychological discharge or something like that. I don't know. Cause oh, I, yeah, it, I mean in the army, like, but that doesn't have to be like that. He's a psycho. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm sorry. And also keep in mind that that was being thrown at him by like a, like a literal Klansman, I think. <laughs> so you got to be shown heroes, with like you know? three Confederate flags behind him. I think at one point. Yeah, it was, um, it was not a subtle moment. <laughs> no. 
three Confederate flags arranged because it's kind of like swastikas and flags were sort of arranged in Nazi era. Let's see. Um, but I, but then what is it? Like he is, and I guess what I'm coming back to is that he is a fascinating character. Like why, what drives a man to basically like latch on to this like money-making machine and then drain it and then lie to it and then just be a gambling. Oh, that's right. He is a gambler. Right, that yeah, says, he's that like does a vehement, yeah, it's like avarice gambler. And one he's of the reasons like, that he wants Elvis to play at the international is uh, because mm-hmm. he gets an unlimited line of credit and all of his debts are forgiven. Yeah, that's the, the, the thing that's so sad about that moment is that it's like he doesn't get money, he gets his debts forgiven and then more opportunity to go into debt. That's right. what he sold Elvis out for. And you, you know, uh, I, I was, I almost said a mobster. I don't know that that man was a mobster. I think um, Meyer Lansky, isn't it Meyer Lansky? I think so. I think that man was a mobster. I'm almost, I mean, it's Vegas in the seventies. It's almost. Lansky was, Lansky was most definitely a mobster. And the guy that, uh, in, in Godfather, who's, I got shot out. It was based yep. on Meyer Lansky. Yeah. Yep. Um, With the Cuban, the Cuban hotels. But, uh, what was I going to say? It's, it, 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 you have to be like oh this guy fucking sucks at gambling i'm gonna give him an unlimited line of credit you don't do that to a guy who knows when to hit and knows when to walk away like, it doesn't matter he's never gonna make money i just don't have to threaten to break his legs anymore and i get elvis <laughs> terrible moment i would love to know if that's true <laughs> um i want to i just want to point out i was correct founding farmers got a zero star review from the washington post uh tom sitsima in oh, there you go. And then there's the infamous hit piece on uh, Guy Fieri uh, in the oh, New York yeah, Times. Oh, yeah, the Times Square. So yeah. what we're saying is Transformers and Michael Bay are the Guy Fieri and founding fathers of cinema. Yeah. So and it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's great because he, he, his first line is, there are lines I fathom, I can fathom and lines I can't. And he talks about the places where he sees people standing for hours to get food. And he's like, you know, uh, what I love is that he brings up Ben's Chili Bowl, which is a DC institution that I also think is like historically relevant, but not actually good food. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, hey, you're back. Tom. Oh, you, Robin. You know <laughs> what? What about you, Robin? What is your <laughs> what is your metaphorical restaurant that's like Michael Bay? Oh God, there's so many. <laughs> you're a food person. You're I a hundred percent am, and I also well, I'm not an influencer, but I love food. I. I'm so unimpressed with so many things. Like I would much rather go to any kind of hole in the wall uh, than something that's like, I don't know, just up its own ass. And there's right. a lot of restaurants. Like I unfortunately I live in a, a city. I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is full of restaurants that are up its own ass. Um, you know, everything's like small plates. I hate small plates. Just give me a regular size plate with a regular size <laughs> like cost and I will eat that food. <laughs> like, uh, so anything that's like a new American, whatever, like to me is that metaphor. But here's, this is interesting. This brings, this whole conversation brings up to me, what is Baz Luhrmann? Where on that uh, kind of sliding scale, of, is he big enough that had we really disliked this movie that we could have just torn it a new asshole and felt okay about I it? I don't think so, no. I, I don't, don't think so, he's not I, quite. He doesn't make enough stuff you know like michael bay i don't know he made all of the transformers right yes yep what's funny is didn't he also do pearl harbor he did um yeah what's funny is i remember being upset 
for him when the island bombed because I thought the island was pretty decent. And really? I liked, you know, uh, The Rock and Armageddon well enough. And I was like, oh, this guy's never going to get to make a movie again. And then I think his next movie was fucking Transformers. <laughs> and I remember going and seeing the original Transformers. I was like, super weird that they made a big budget movie out of this. But I'm glad Michael Bay has a hit because now he can go back to making weird shit like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. The Rock and The Island. And instead he was like, 26 more Transformers. <laughs> but he threw in some pains and gains and some uh, some ambulances, too. So, like, I... I love the guy. Yeah, it is interesting. I once saw like St- Sylvester Stallone in, uh, interviewed at one point and he was like, and somebody asked him and it was kind of rude to be honest, but somebody was like, why don't you make another Rocky? You're making all these, you know, other <laughs> franchise things. Why don't you make something like the original Rocky? You know, like something a little indie, you know, something like that. And he's like, Sylvester was like, because nobody, I call him Sylvester. He's like, nobody would give me the money for that. No one would give you the money. And I'm thinking to myself, who needs to give you any money? Use your- <laughs> You got plenty of money if you he's want to. He's not going to M. Night Shyamalan it, where he's like, "I'm just going to mortgage my big house and make <laughs> uh, the visit." Yeah, just make your little small movie. Well, How I think that's kind of sad because I bet if he went up to someone who was like, "I'd like to make another Expendables," they'd be like, "Here's three hundred million dollars." Yep. But if he was like, "I think I got another Rocky in me," they'd be like, "Yeah, whatever, buddy. No one's going to give you twenty million dollars for your little boxing movie." Yeah, today, yeah, yeah. You you uh, get to make the multi hundred million dollar franchise thing, or you get to make nothing at all, motherfucker. <laughs> but then there's Michael Bay. Who's like, yeah, I mean, I could make transformers movies forever, but I'm going to try this thing. that sounds insane. I've not seen ambulance, but sounds insane and kind of personal. Is that Pretty kind insane. of weird? I don't know if it's personal. It would be kind of weird if he came <laughs> it's out. It's definitely like, not personal. This story really <laughs> resonated with me. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of my childhood. This is my harsh times. <laughs> I don't know why that's my go-to. <laughs> I haven't seen this yet, but I have a feeling that I understand how sarcastic you're being. Yeah, no, that would be fucking nuts. Um, <laughs> oh my god! All right, uh, do we do? Are there other are there other things to talk about in this, Robin? You've kind of brought up like the Priscilla thing. Like, do you feel like the movie mm. would have benefited from going into those interpersonal relationships more, or are you kind of like? I really accept that the main relationship in this movie is between Elvis and uh, Tom Parker. So I'm, you know, I'm not that bitter about it. I think I'm just more, the person is kind of an interesting figure and they really, really gloss over the fact that she was uh, a very young teenager when they started dating. I think think she she was was like like 14 14. and she was like 25. There's like a 10 year age difference between them. Yeah. And they, and they waited a long time before they got married and there's all this kind of, they really gloss over a lot of stuff. Like it's unclear if he was forced to marry her. Like he, I think he kind of got strong armed into it in real life. And so there's all sorts of things like that, that, that I think it, I mean, rumors, right? So I like, I don't know don't shit about know Elvis on a personal level. I don't know if I've said that, but walking into this movie, I was like, Elvis Presley, hound dog. <laughs> right, right. Like, and that's again the power of the movie that it really brings yeah. forward that. Uh, I didn't emotional curiosity about him. In fact, I remember seeing the trailer for this movie however many months ago and and people had been tweeting about it like oh my god tom hanks in a fat suit and i was like what the fuck is is I, and when they said that i was like is tom hanks playing fucking elvis <laughs> and then they're like no he's playing colonel tom parker i was like who is colonel tom parker what does really? that mean don't say that like it's right. a thing 
And then right. I watched the 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 what's it call it the trailer, and I still didn't realize to the effect the like the level of fucking chicanery that Colonel Tom Parker was doing. Yeah, I was like, either. oh, I he's mean, just a weird coot who like discovered Elvis. I kind of thought like maybe he's like his first manager, and he's reflecting on like, oh, I missed the boat on that one. But instead, it's like, wow. no, he was a manipulative monster who took fifty percent of everything he did, and just destroyed his life apparently i like that you, you kind of your go-to like your initial thing was well if i'm seeing uh, a kind of cadre older person that's about to sign a young artist to a contract in a movie that maybe he'll just be a minor player that won't rook him for everything he owns because i feel like <laughs> colonel tom parker is the paradigm by which that character which exists in like every rock movie was based upon yeah no he's definitely he's definitely like the faustian devil type thing but i thought of him more like you know you know the movie that thing you do <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah. which I thought about a lot watching this. Oh yeah. First of all, it's a great movie. But second of all, yeah. Uh it's um I can't produced by Tom act- Hanks. Yes, and I can't remember yeah. the actor's name, but there's that first that first guy that they have who comes to them in his camper that's like on the back of a pickup truck and is like I'm going to put your record on the radio, guys. And and they're all like, "Uh, I don't know." But then um, Steve Zahn's like, this is a really nice guy and a really nice camper. I'm signing. You're signing. We're all signing. And they do. And he does get them on the radio. And then Tom Hanks comes and is like, I'm buying your contract. And they're all like, but what about like our guy? And he's like, nah, boys, I've taken you as far as I can take you. It's time for Mr. White to take you. And then he's just never seen again. And I honestly thought that like. That might be what Tom Parker was, but I but so, was wrong. You were, like that thing you do, instead of reality, <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker <laughs> being your paradigm, it was that thing you do. That's amazing. I, you know, I, I'm a man who loves that thing you do. I have no idea. I, it's a really good movie. <laughs> it's and great. a great soundtrack. Yeah. I wish I could remember that that actor's name, and but I, I'm looking at that thing you do's cast right now and realizing that I 100% don't even know what that character's uh, name was, so I can't Charlie's Theron's in that movie. Yeah, she's fucking Styx's girlfriend until mm-hmm. she leaves him for her dentist. I'm looking this up. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, this is when she was playing, like, super minor supporting girlfriend roles. Oh, okay. So I'm not a terrible uh, uh, movie no, but not it's, knowing it's, this crazy that her her career has might have been the first thing that i've ever actually seen her in i think it was definitely because you were like seven when that movie came out that was a good point um (laughs) for me it was devil's advocate well it's it is the second thing she ever did the first was children of the corn three and she was uncredited but she was in that thing you do as tina and i when i saw that movie saw her and my jaw hit the floor and I was never the same again. I was probably <laughs> nine years old and I was straight as an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That yeah, was that's... your moment that you knew you were straight. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, and then, yeah, I saw her in Devil's Advocate. I remember that. Um, Devil's Advocate. Can we do a whole other episode about Devil's Advocate? I am that shocked amazing. that we haven't talked about Devil's Advocate on this it's podcast. That I haven't pitched that as like some stupid classic review. 
That is just one of those movies that's just like, mm, just goes down so easy. <laughs> that is, that's a movie that you can't even describe it to people anymore. No. It's just like, okay, so like, you know, if my, my daughter's sitting on my lap tomorrow is just like, dad, tell me about movies in the 90s. <laughs> well, it Cora, is... back before the IP wars began and Disney began consuming all media, there used to be these things called spec scripts, and sometimes they'd be based on something as innocuous as an idiom. <laughs> you know, someone once said to someone, the devil's advocate, and someone was like, I know that you mean I'm arguing the unpopular position, but what if you literally meant I am a lawyer for the devil? That's right. Apparently you it's get... based off a novel? Anyway. And you could get Al Pacino to play that role. Yeah. It's not Keanu a superhero Reeves, or anything. Al Pacino, Charlize Theron, a bevy of other great character actors like Craig T. Nelson and uh, known pedophile Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, man. The mighty have fallen. Ruben Santiago Hudson is also in that. He's great. He was great in Castle. Um, I can't even remember what we were talking about now. Lisa Marie <laughs> Presley, Priscilla Presley. Yeah, they really do. They really do skirt over the fact that she was a literal like they're like. The teenage daughter of uh, some diplomats. Yeah, did they even mention that? <laughs> they said teenage. But, you know, that could be anything. She could be 18. She could she be 19. She was quite young. She was quite 14 young. years old. <laughs> it is I crazy. Mean, he was basically grooming her. Ugh. Yeah. And by the way, the uh, one thing that I will say is that I, uh, there, there is so, and what's crazy is that they, there's so much crazy uh, st- ground covered in this movie. They don't go into that. That's even crazier ground. And then also he like apparently dated Wanda Jackson, who's like one of the greatest rockabilly stars in history. She the, did the that, guitarist. Um, yeah. And Tunnel of Love. Um, and she is like amazing and that would have been like really awesome to have seen like what that date was like she has songs like fujiyama mama i'm gonna I'm, it's like using nuclear bombs as a metaphor for herself like mm-hmm. it, what would that have been like portrayed by baz lorman but it's already three hours oh, yeah. long fujiyama so mama, at- she did funnel of love yeah which is yeah. amazing that's a great song yeah um, what's the, and also, what's wait a the minute. really underwhelming movie that funnel of love is in it's by uh that guy who sometimes makes movies i like <laughs> oh him Jarmusch uh, Jim Jarmusch it was Jim Jarmusch, oh, Jim Jarmusch. Movie. I think it was, it was probably Coffee and Cigarettes Left but... Alive oh that would make sense that's a great soundtrack it's a great um, soundtrack for a terrible movie <clears throat> well better better than the zombie movie I didn't opinion. even bother to see the zombie movie <laughs> uh, I was going to say something but like that also he dated Sybil Shepherd, I believe wait how Elvis. young was she? I well, she could have been pretty young. We know that's in him. Uh, I don't know because he a, died in what seventy seven, and she wasn't even really famous by then. Well, taxi like driver. maybe she had just wait, gone. Wait, Sybil Shepherd. Yeah, she was born in fifty, so she was only five years younger than him. No, yeah, yes. No. Wait, Sybil Shepherd's in Taxi Driver. Yes. Yeah, she's the woman at the. She's the 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 political she's his love interest woman. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. No, he was born sure. in 35 and she was born in 50. So that is, I can't conceive of a time at which, unless it was like literally in the 70s, it was problematic. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she talked about it on a, a roast that I saw, a comedy roast. Of Elvis? So of course, no, no. Of I was about to say, he's already dead. Can we not? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
Um, no, Sybil Shepherd was on a panel of roasters and she was every roaster roasts everybody else. And she got roasted about having uh, apparently I'm not going to get into it. It was a roast. Oh, so didn't she fuck, honestly, <laughs> in the most empowering way possible. Who didn't she fuck? <laughs> I mean, this is a compliment. Um, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like that would she have been dated interesting. Elvis Presley in the early seventies. Again, this is from Wikipedia, um, in the early seventies and cared for him, but could not handle his dependence on drugs and ultimately chose filmmaker Peter Dogdanovich over Presley. What a fucking life. Yeah. No kidding. Can you imagine? <laughs> he just went from one to the other. She agreed uh, to a date with actor Jack Nicholson to make Don Bogdanovich jealous. She later canceled the date and Nicholson would not speak to her again, except to say hi at a party many years later. Where are they getting these from? <laughs> Do not know. Oh, my God. Robert De Niro apparently asked her out during the filming Taxi Driver. That's crazy. Up. <laughs> I she mean, said she later regretted turning him down, I guess. Don Johnson, Stan Getz. I'm telling you. Bruce Willis were tempted to become lovers off screen, but agreed not to since both knew it could hurt the series. It's true. The, the sole moment of restraint in either of their careers. <laughs> Look, moonlighting is too important. Yeah, we've got to keep it going. I love that series. It is. It, yeah, I. You know, I. It. It is. Uh, you know. You know me. I'm all about the problematic nature of twenty year olds fucking teenagers. Um, <laughs> even though some people would disagree with me. It's his brand. <laughs> yeah, my brand is not being into hebophilia and pedophilia. If there's one um, thing you're known for. If there's one thing I know for, it's not being down with adults fucking children. Um, it sets you apart. It does. It does. Um, sadly, I've had too many opportunities to talk about it regarding movies that have been oh, major reward season contenders. Um, what was I going to say? It, yeah, they gloss over it like a motherfucker. And I like, you know, based on what they show later in the movie, you're almost tempted to be like, oh, well, if it led to this, like, you know, kind of like weird affection between them and then you're like no that's still really fucking gross but i will say that like i like the way they handle her walking out on him mm -hmm. because it is not the throwing stuff screaming you know ray kind of thing you know it's it is yep. such a quiet acknowledgement of his like depths of addiction and her self-knowledge and their continued love for one another that's like destroyed by his code, his dependency on alcohol and drugs. It's true, um, but it still there. feels like that whole, I, I mean, I agree with Robin. It's like the whole thing is so kind of tangential that it feels like, well, we have to have the scene where she leaves. But on some level, I'm kind of like, yeah, that was going to happen. Who cares? Yeah, it's like, it I don't really know that person. You know, it is. I, I think it is like one of the uh, a major flaw of the film is that it's like I don't really know who that character is. But I think in that way, it it's kind of good then that like <laughs> that like they don't turn it into like the screaming match. You know that they do allow it to be quiet. Oh well, yes, true. Because then we would it would be like great. Now we're expending a ton of energy on this thing that I don't really care that much about. Yeah, it's like oh fine, I'll go through this part. Jesus. But instead, him, also, him asking her to stay and her being like, I have to leave or I won't be able to. And then him just like quietly letting her go was very, sure. uh, that was distressing. And there's another moment of like restraint. This is the weird thing about Baz Luhrmann. As much as he's known as this guy who's over the top, I feel like he's over the top visually and, and sometimes emotionally. But he's not necessarily over the top in terms of 
I don't know. I don't know what I'll just like the, the thing that I would think that would have been dwelled on in this movie is his drug decline. Elvis is, you know, like sitting at home, taking ton fistfuls of drugs and eating, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches made with an entire loaf of bread. Like that is just completely skipped over. And that's yeah, his, pretty. What is it? The liar's gold loaf or whatever he called it. Yep. Burnt. Do you know what that is, Robin? No. What is that? <laughs> I was Because you're a food person. I thought you might. Know. I have no clue. I mean, I know about his like peanut butter the fool's gold banana loaf, thing yeah is is a sandwich made by the colorado mine company a restaurant in denver colorado is this what i'm this must is that what the same thing is that what it's just called i don't know now i'm not looking for it i think i that's. believe that's what it is he would like oh, okay I, yeah i definitely know about the peanut butter banana bacon thing yes that he would apparently fly his entire crew to is it vegas that it was or colorado he it's would colorado, fly them to yeah. colorado to get that sandwich and they i didn't know it was called planet. that it or like that it had a, that connection. a single warmed hollowed out loaf of bread filled with the contents of one jar of creamy peanut butter one jar of grape jelly and a pound of bacon Yep, burnt bacon. I thought it was, but wait, whatever. no bananas. See, so they say that the peanut butter and jelly sandwich has been referred to as a favorite of Elvis Presley, who was renowned for his food craving, such as the fool's gold loaf. So it was apparently two different things. There was the peanut butter, banana, and bacon sandwich, but then there was—I uh-huh. guess that was like his poor man's version of the fool's gold mm. loaf. <laughs> can I still get a fool's gold loaf? I don't want it, but I want to know if I can get it. <laughs> My husband and I are now pistachio cream people, so. Peanut what? butter is a little oh, below me. Wow, like, that's mm. a, that sounds like a food influencer. Um, I'm not. I'm really, really not. I just post a lot about food. <laughs> that's like uh, I was talking to my mother the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm just making some tortillas because I want to like eat, you know, I think like just tacos later tonight." And she just said to me, "When did you get so bougie?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> She's like, <laughs> "You're brewing loose leaf tea." You spent like 14 minutes talking about different kinds of honey the other day. And now you're telling me you're making your own tortillas out of Maza. Like what happened? You Wait, just, you do that? That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it is. Do you nixtamalize your own corn? No, oh. I don't. No, I, I, I've thought about it. Um, I get, you know, ground. You're corn like, I need all this lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not lie. It's lime. Lime, but, never mind. Not, One of them breaks down bodies. The other nixtamalizes corn. <laughs> Just uh, make her an Elvis sandwich, and then she'll be like, there you are. There's my like, son. I'm not making like back on the ground. You know, I'm making matzo. <laughs> that's like pretty intense, though. Making lutefisk? No, the maza. Oh, that's not, it's not that you get maza. You put almost an equal parts water, and then you mix it up, and then you just form a tortilla, and you put it on a pan for a while. Or you go to the store and get one. I can't. That's all we're saying. Now I'm going to, this is why my mother thinks I sound bougie. I can't even eat the store bought ones anymore. They just don't. Oh my God. Shut up. This is my life. (laughs) I'm allowed to enjoy nice things. It's also technically less money to make your own. So really what I'm doing is I'm being financially responsible. I eat a lot of In this economy? In this, God damn it. How are you better at launching that joke than I am? I consistently forget to make my in this economy joke. <laughs> and you're just there. Ready. I think it's mine now. It is. I think the joke is that you stole the joke from me that you didn't even want me to make. And now you make it. Well, really some well. of us are the talent and some of us are the talent wranglers. <laughs> there you go. So I'm the wrangler then and you're the talent. 
No, you're the talent, and I've wrangled your talent away from you. Wow. So that makes you the And now I employ now. it. <laughs> no, guys, I just guys, know guys. how to use it. You're both the talent. Oh, that's so nice of you. I just feel you're like you're both the suckers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Neither of you has any business sense. I fucking 100% don't. At the distillery, I'm like, I can answer literally every question you have, unless it has to do with money. <laughs> Someone asked me about the margins. They're like, what's the margin on a bottle of your whiskey? I was like, dude, I don't fucking know. Wow. Six dollars? Like, why are you asking me that? I don't know. Do, I would, do start, I would start a I would start a business if I didn't have to know any of the like pertinent financial circumstances of you know, the business. that's all Arthur's business, you know? I know everything else. <laughs> oh, so so the key is to have a creative partner who also is the business mind, is that the idea? Yes. So like I'm the master distiller, he's the president and CEO. So like I See, come so- up with the mashes, I, you know, came up with what we were finishing it in. You know, we had our ideas, we came together, but basically I got to do control on that and then he fills out all the forms. <laughs> So what Elvis needed was like, if his guitarist was also an accountant, that would have been like perfect. Yes. There we go. Elvis's dad doesn't come out of this movie looking great either. No, he comes off as a wimp. He's a fucking moron is what he is. <laughs> He's just sitting there smoking cigarettes, feeling sorry for himself, barely able to speak. Um, you know, but on the other hand, he had like gone to jail and like left his, and his wife has like died of alcoholism. It's like, he's, he's kind of a, a shell of a man. Yeah. He's kind of along yeah. for the ride. Again, it doesn't come out looking great. No, agreed. But, uh, but again, this all goes back to, this was all by way, a long way of saying, yeah, like Baz Luhrmann didn't take, I mean, imagine the kind of psychedelic crazy times that he could have had with Elvis running around Graceland high on pills right i mean just like i don't yeah. even know that we see that much of graceland in the movie not really there, no and i was kind of expecting it but again that did not happen i mean we get we get all the shooting televisions we do get his guns <laughs> a little bit but um yeah. i mean so what's funny is you know talking about like the character of elvis in popular culture one of my key childhood touchstones of elvis is that episode of the simpsons where bart and lisa write an episode of the itchy and scratchy show and it ends, so I think it's uh, Scratchy. Which one's itchy and which one's Scratchy? I, I never can remember. I don't think I, I ever know. knew this. Um, anyway, uh, so the, the mouse is running a, the mouse is running a barbershop. So Itchy is the mouse. Itchy's running a barbershop. Scratchy comes in, sits in the chair. Itchy pours a bunch of barbecue sauce in his head and then flesh-eating ants and then once Scratchy has been reduced to a skull, Itchy slams on the barber's chair foot pedal thing. The chair goes up through the ceiling, depositing Scratchy's screaming skull into the television of Elvis, who is sitting fat in a rhinestone suit in a lazy boy and says, man, this channel's no good. And then shoots it with a gun. <laughs> And that, that sounds pretty accurate. And then that is this movie. Yeah, I was like, so I see the gunshots in this movie. I'm like, oh, he did that. Wow. Wait, did they not do the Nixon thing either? They didn't. That's do the Nixon right. Thing. They didn't do the How Nixon thing. How would they thing? have time to do the Nixon? Thing? It's <laughs> only a three-hour movie, and they completely <laughs> missed the Nixon thing, the peanut butter, and fucking Priscilla. But yeah, you know what? By making the '68 comeback special only ten minutes long instead of like a third that of the Christmas film. Christmas special was like the longest sequence of any. 
That was his comeback. That was him trying to reassert his creative control. That's the comeback. It is a major moment in his career, but I mean, like, we get it. It's it's insane how much they did with all those sweaters. In real life? Yeah. You think they just like put them in a pit somewhere? (laughs) Why would they put them in a pit? They they never wore the sweater. So how are they going to sell them? (laughs) Wait, what? If he never wore them, then they can definitely sell them. No one's even sweated in them. (laughs) Why do you have to? Wasn't the whole idea that he was was going to wear a sweater during the Here Comes Santa Claus part? And then right. they had like a million and a half sweaters that they knew they were going to sell because Elvis wore it. Oh, oh, not the one. Not I the see. one he's wearing. I thought you meant the costumes. The hundred and billion and six sweaters that they made on a Singer TX whatever the fuck sewing ma- or knitting machine. That's true. They're gonna. So they were kind of like the uh, the ET the extraterrestrial video game. That is time. They just exactly the reference song. I was going for. Because usually you send like what is, it's the thing of like they print everything twice for the Super Bowl so they can sell it immediately. And whoever doesn't win, they just like put all their right. shit in a shipping crate and then send it to like yeah. poor countries. Yeah. Know. Way to bring me down, man. I'm sorry. Like- but I just what you can't do that with an Elvis sweater because <laughs> all those countries are usually pretty warm. <laughs> Oh my, it's sad. I mean, uh, I guess you could sh- ship them up to the Montrealans. Yeah, all those poor people in the Yukon. Um, yeah, but, you know. but I like that. I like. I, I liked that. But see, that was what made me think of like, what if we just began there with him at his lowest point and just had him like, you know, reflecting on the times when he was big and like trying to get big again, but then failing because it, it could be interesting, especially since he was drugged out at the time, then you could have a super unreliable narrator. And Oh yeah. Yeah. You got him basically being Leonardo DiCaprio in Shutter Island. You don't know what the fuck's going on <laughs> with this guy's brain. Well, here's the pitch. Elvis meets Shutter Island. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Go. That is, that's the plot of censor, which again will be out <laughs> from a 24 films in 2026. I want to tell you about the 90s, a time when there was a thing called the spec script. <laughs> Elvis meets Shutter Island. You walk into, I don't know, focus features and you throw those words at them together and they, they give you some money. Hey, uh, we'll see. I guess we'll see. I'm here. And on that note. <laughs> I was about to say, are there, are there any final thoughts that we have on this? We haven't beat the runtime of the movie yet. If we just stay on another <laughs> I am burning minutes. up here. I don't have my air conditioning on or my fan on. Just a that's punk, correct. Punk, There's punk, no window punk. in my bedroom and the door is right. closed. <laughs> I feel like Elvis at the end of one of his performances towards the end <laughs> of the Robin, film. Robin's, Robin's sitting in her, her apartment going, Lord Almighty, I feel my temperature rising. <laughs> that was quick. That was good. <laughs> kind of hate you, but it worked. Robin's don't not even talking to me anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things we could have canceled you for this is that <laughs> quoting elvis <laughs> oh by the way that's another very here's what i'll also say is that there's a moment where elvis is there's literally a headline that says elvis canceled something like that <laughs> oh god or is it t- colonel tom parker canceled or something and they they say it multiple times they're kind of like if, if colonel tom says i'm gonna get canceled or something like that and it's just like uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't quite the same thing back then now that you've no, said that, I feel like I would have remembered that. I don't know, but it's possible. 
I know they talk about him going to jail, and BB King is like, "You're a famous ass white boy. You ain't going to jail. <laughs> Do whatever the fuck you want." It, it, it like the, they have very clear eyed discussions about like, "Come on, man, you're fucking Elvis." <laughs> yes, it's true. Like they'll throw my ass in jail for crossing the street. And you, you could do whatever the fuck you want. So you should do that. Like, you you have a superpower. Why aren't you wilding out with it? <laughs> it is true. Robin, I'm sorry that you're burning up because I remember that thing about cancellation. <laughs> I don't mean Dying. you to die. No, it's fine. <laughs> but I, I do think that we have covered the gamut of this movie. For sure. Yes, the gamut has been covered. There's Woo-hoo. a lot of gamut. Yes. Full right. gamut. How do you wrap these things up? Uh, we just, uh, we say, hey, thanks for joining us. Um, so that's our discussion of Elvis. We hope that you all have enjoyed it. If you have your own feelings about it, don't forget to reach out on Twitter at FilmStageShow or email us podcastfilmstage.com. Or again, you can talk to us at our Slack channel if you give us your money over at patreon.com slash show. Ron Barr, what are you talking about next week? I have no clue. What <laughs> I've been fuck? out of the country. That is not um, an excuse. Shit exists Yeah, it's a elsewhere. terrible excuse, dude. It's apparently nope. Nope is fine. Oh, okay. That's out. what I figured. All right. I got to go to that screening this week. talking about Jordan Peele's nope. Uh, I'm not sure if we have a guest pinned down for that one. Not yet. I'll work on it. Yes. Get back on the ball, Robin. You've been back in the country I've... for 48 hours. <laughs> I would happily come back for that one. That one's only like an hour and a half, right? Because basically between taping this show and seeing Elvis, I basically put in a full day of work for you guys. <laughs> You're <laughs> I'd welcome. Be happy to, I'd be happy to have a human-sized film. <laughs> uh, according to IMDb, no, Nope is two hours and 15 minutes. What? Uh, yeah. Seriously? That's, yep. Sucks to be you. It oh, man. sucks to be you. I, I rescind my self-invitation. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Nope is out in theaters next Friday or this coming Friday on Friday, June 22nd. So go check it out and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Uh, I'm not sure if Bill's going to be here or not, but whatever. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I don't know. He, he might not be here. It's it's, it's an open question. Um, it does appear as though he's, he's going to be uh, back on the 19th. So he will be here for that. Hooray, Bill will be back. Anyway, uh, so that's that. Um, Rico, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This was such a great time. And uh, thank you for... Actually, uh, you know, I have a toddler, so I don't actually get out to the movies all that often lately. (laughs) So it was actually nice to sit in an air-conditioned movie theater for three hours and uh, revel in the sweat of Elvis. Nice. (laughs) Gotta, Gotta revel in that, the sweat of Elvis. Boy. Um, all right. Uh, so that's awesome. Would you like to tell the people once again where they can find your stuff online and where they can find the, uh, the movie podcast? Oh, please. It is a M-U-B-I podcast, cunningly named, being that it is produced by Mubi, the streaming service. You don't have and to you can... be like, you know, self-deprecating. You're literally on something called the Film Stage Show. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. We tried uh, to come up with a clever name and we just gave up at some point. It's I, th- I think that's kind of how it works. And we but listen, all of the uh, all of the energy that didn't go into the title is definitely in the show. So 
listen on uh, you know basically any platform that you've got you can also find it if you are a movie subscriber and spend a lot of time on that website at the uh, movie notebook site that's where you know that's movies uh, print publication uh or rather online publication and uh what else yeah definitely listen and download and uh i i really hope you do it is a labor of love and uh, I think that you will find it enjoyable. It's it's stories. It's not just you know me uh, talking about stuff. It's it's a beginning, middle, and end with characters you can follow. And it's all about movie theaters. And if you're listening to this show, you must love those. You would think so, unless you're the Russo brothers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was Crazy. I going to say? There's um the, I I there was a, a podcast that I, I was excited to listen to and I listened to it and it was literally like a man and a woman taking turns reading with very little affect off of a script <laughs> and it was like a podcast that was from a major network that seemed to have a lot of money behind it and oh. it was not good and um they have a bunch of other podcasts that are all on subjects that I feel like I would love but they all kind of at least back when I listened to them had that same thing to it and it wasn't like the people were like personalities you know yeah it really seemed like male voice and female voice <laughs> and i'm not gonna say who it is because i'm pretty sure they make a million dollars and they could destroy me with a wave of their little finger but um they're not great it's i'll the, tell you guys off mic if you have yes, already guessed. Um, i would love to it's <laughs> the kind of thing that it was going to make me want to kill myself because as soon as i'm done talking to you guys i'm going right back to work until about five in the morning on my mm, podcast oh god uh, meanwhile, I just like correct levels on this and then send it to Jordan. And if he doesn't say, hey, you got to cut out the 30 minutes in the middle where you just gave a full recipe for your family's sauce and meatballs, <laughs> it all goes up, baby. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what does a job like that pay? Sounds pretty good. Sweet. Yeah, it's not much of anything. It, it covers <laughs> the cost of the ticket sometimes. Uh, not if it's an IMAX. Anyway, Robin Barr, what about yourself? Where can people find your stuff online now that you're back in country? Uh, I'm back, baby. Uh, so, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, you can also sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. All right. As for me, uh, you can find out more about my whiskey at inkwellwhiskey.com and schmidtspirits.com, since that got talked about a lot this episode. Uh, you can find all of my stuff on my personal site, brianjerone.com. And, of course, you can find me on all the social media sites that I'm a part of, um, at Brian J. Rowan. So Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, probably even Facebook, Peach, uh, Ello. Everyone remember Ello? Anyway, Google+. Um, you can also find me and all my writing at thefilmstage.com. And, of course, you can find every episode of this year's podcast over there as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And tune in next week. Speak.